Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back with a podcast recorded on the day of the Comics Pro DC Rebirth announcements. Perhaps understandably, for the bulk of this two-plus-hour podcast, we will be discussing information as it is announced, speculating about what kind of sales might come along for the new titles, and looking at the current sales of all-new, all-different Marvel. Also, we talk about the first issue of Power Man and Iron Fist by David Walker and Sanford Green, Sex Criminals 14 by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky, Batman 49 by Scott Snyder and Yannick Paquette, and the creative runs on Wonder Woman and Justice League. Very fast show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, how are you? Happy DC Rebirth Day. Or, as I like to call it, happy publication of the final issue of Jason Shiga's Demon Day. Yeah, I saw that actually in an email. I was going to email you and be like, Jeff, are you excited? <laughs> I gotta say, I wait, which one? For DC Rebirth or the last issue? Of no, Demon? no, 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 the last issue of Demon. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, it uh, It was one of those deals where the, the period of time that passed between Shiga's emails telling patrons that you could get the PDF <coughs> and the time I put that on my iPad was a minute maybe you know it was just i went downloaded it read it actually had that weird moment of like oh fuck what happened last issue i just remember there was so much insanity reread issue 20 then read 21 and it was like ah, ah. i i'm seriously behind on demon i want to say the last one i read was like 16 17 oh really oh wow yeah, I, so I, i'm really behind that's great uh, well, part of it is i didn't read it at all until issue 12 was out mm, mm-hmm. do you not remember because you were nagging me for the longest time and then yes. I, I read i read them all when issue 12 was out um and it read really well mm-hmm. in, in like binge reading and then when i read the individual issues after that it just wasn't as good yeah i, 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 I kind of get that mm-hmm. enjoy it as much as going you know this, this is insane yeah. i can read more of the insane i can read more of the insane you know absolutely Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. so I, you know, I, I chance there. I'll sit down now that it's all there. Yeah, definitely I, do so. I think that last, the the last two issues, which is something like ninety five pages altogether, or maybe a hundred pages, is just flat out. Like he took all the crazy, all the craziness. He built it all to this great point. That's sort of this weird mesh of, um, you know. It really over the top lunacy, and then strangely, you know, that kind of strangely logical, rational rationality that he applies to stuff. Mm-hmm. So he really builds it to a, a, what I thought was a, a satisfyingly big climax that that works. Oh my god, he is it. So yeah, so I was really excited. And I thought he, he did such a great job with it. Um, but there was also this weird feeling of, of pride, I guess, you know, because there's that weird Patreon thing where because we get the books because we supported him, but also because we were one of many, many, many people who supported him, uh, you know, you kind of feel like you, you helped it a little bit. So yeah. it, was, it was kind of. I also liked the email 
people who don't follow Jason Shiger or do his Patreon might be like, what are you even talking about? His, in his email announcing the end of the series, he basically said, you can stop supporting me on Patreon now. Yes. Which I thought was really nice. Yeah, I thought like, so it's, too. It's mm-hmm. really, like, like, it's basic, I guess. Like, the project's finished. You can stop now. But there's, I, that won a lot of goodwill for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just that very simple, we're done. You, you should stop. Like you should take me off your list now. Mm-hmm. I thought it was was really really nice. Yeah, that I thought that was the really great and just very. Um, I I hope that means that that he will have that goodwill. I, it makes sense. I think he has the confidence. Part of me is like, oh, don't do that. You're going to take five months off, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to start your new project, and everyone and no, you know, no one will catch on that time. But. You know, considering as he mentions, uh, if not in that email, then then certainly at the end of the last issue, you know, he went from demon basically no publisher wanting to even remotely touch it to, you know, for, so, se- for a second they're doing, aren't they? No, no, no. Now, but when yeah. he first started it, because he approached he approached people with the idea and or I want to say he had a good chunk of it penciled but not inked. Um, so he had a lot to show people and everyone was like, and so it really was a, a grassroots campaign. And I think he mentioned that he's one of the highest comic supported patrons on there, you know? So I just, I just, I, you know, well done, Jason Shiga, well done. And yeah, the fact that he was kind of like, yeah, stop paying me. I'm taking five months off and then I'll come back and do, and do, I've already got a good solid idea is is kind of amazing, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those. It, it, you're right about having maybe not ownership, but feeling part of something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there's a sense of this worked. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, this this model worked. This yeah. model allowed not only for the creation of this book, but for this book to be published and then get an audience, which meant that for a second did pick it up. Mm-hmm. Well, I, the, the other – oh, sorry. Don't don't mean to cut no, you No, no, no. Keep going. Well, I was going to say one thing that I think also really seemed to work is, you know, I know through us talking about it, we've definitely heard back from some whatnots who were like, you totally got me hooked on this, you know? And what was kind of great is a little bit, li- a little bit like the podcasting model because he was releasing the pages free online when we were telling people they would go and read like – 600 pages at a go or 900 pages at a go and be totally hooked. And a lot of people would jump over to supporting him to get the issues. And it was just a really, you know, he did a very smart way. I'm just very grateful to see the, the, the fact that, um, cause I was thinking about this, you know, we really, we throw in some bonuses for people at, at levels on, on, uh, Patreon, but you know, considering people are kind enough to let us into their ears, uh, you know, three days a month or however it works out for them, you know, it's, it's all free. And the, the fact that, that people are, are gracious enough to really support that, you know, for themselves and also to, you know, so that other people can also still access the majority of that free. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a nice warm feeling, not, not that sort of alternately hot and cold, sweaty, what's happening at DC feeling, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> nice pivot point, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, oh, I can see where this is. This will work perfectly. So, uh, so Graham, tell me, uh, I, I get the sense uh, from our earlier email that you were like – following what's the following the rebirth announcements well okay so do you know what the rebirth announcements are like have you seen any of this the the only thing i saw was on bleeding cool where uh jeff johns was like hey everybody i look unbelievably exhausted but yes he does in that video jeff johns does look very tired (laughs) and right now uh, for reasons you know that I've told you an email, uh, Jeff, I'm really tired as well. And I honestly looked at that video and thought, that man needs some sleep. Yes. As as myself, who actually took a nap before we started talking, I was like, oh, I know that look. Oh, my God. That poor guy. He just needs to, like, as soon as they finished filming, he probably just crawled under the rebirth desk, you know, drew the blue curtains across it and just and just slept his little heart it's out. It's not a reboot. A reboot. It's time for a nap. Uh, okay, so Rebirth is this. Rebirth yes. is DC doing, let's face it, what they probably should have done like two or three years ago, which is uh, relaunching and repositioning the line uh, and the universe so that A, they're relaunching with less books. Mm-hmm. There's going to be 32 ongoing titles. Oh, nice. But of the 32, 17 are going to come out twice a month. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, 17? 17 of them. Oh. That's mm. um, the, everything's being renumbered to issue one, with the exception of action comics and detective comics, which are being renumbered to their legacy numbering. Mm. So it's going to be nine fifty-seven and nine thirty-four. I see, of course. Okay, because that way you get issue a thousand in a couple of years. Yes, because those books are part of the twice monthly books. So, like, you're really racing. You're really racing to <laughs> yeah, work. Exactly. Um, the. They've announced that what the titles are, but not the creative teams. The creative teams are going to be announced at WonderCon. Titles are, there's some genuinely wacky shit in here. Mm-hmm. Aquaman, Batman, The Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lanterns, plural. Superman, Wonder Woman, Action Comics, Detective Comics, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, Justice League, Nightwing, Batgirl, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, The Hellblazer, Red Hood and the Outlaws, because Scott Lobdell clearly has blackmail material on some of the DC. <laughs> the Superman, two words, Titans, Batman Beyond, Blue Beetle, Earth 2, Gotham Academy Net Semester, Supergirl, Superwoman, Super Sons, Jeff, wow. Super Sons, Teen Titans, Cyborg, Deathstroke, Harley Quinn, Justice League America, Trinity and Suicide Squad. There's a, a bunch in there that I can see myself being interested in because I'm a complete DC fanboy. Right. Fascinated and saddened to see the more adventurous books from TCU just disappearing entirely. Mm-hmm. No Midnighter, no Mega Man, no Martian Manhunter. Uh, Catwoman is gone, interestingly enough. It's the first time Catwoman's not as a solo title in a while. Although I wouldn't be surprised if she shows up in Birds of Prey. It is a much more, in terms of title, mm-hmm. uh, mainstream list. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there's no press. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the closest thing to press is Super Sons. Yeah. And Hands up everyone who doesn't think Super Sons is going to end up being either time-traveling Super Sons brought to the current day or a new title for, like, Kid Flash and Superboy and Robin, you know? Because Robin is literally Batman's son. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? So you get Superboy and Robin in there? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would not surprise me at all. Um, it's sad to see that the, the diversity of DCU seems to have disappeared, but... 
you know, 32 titles is, seems more sensible than let's go for 52. Well, okay. Twice of them being published, like, essentially half of them being published twice a month. Yeah, that's that's the only part where I was like, okay, you know, when you said 32, I'm like, oh, great. 17 of them being published bi-weekly, though, I just don't even think, mm, I do. We, but we don't know what the bi-weekly titles are, or are you on top of that? Uh, I do. Oh, hang on. I've got to look it up. It's on CBR. Um, oh, no. Is it? Or did they send me an email? Because they definitely sent me an email with information. <laughs> Let's see. The bi-monthly title, bi-weekly titles are Aquaman, Batman, Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, Action Comics, Detective Comics, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, Justice League, Nightwing, um, Cyborg, Deathstroke, Harley Quinn, Justice League America, and Suicide Squad. It's too many titles, I think. N- too many bi-weekly it titles? Uh, I mean, who knows? Well, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm really, I don't, I really don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Oh, the other thing that they're doing, which is super interesting to me, mm-hmm. they're going back to two ninety nine for all the books. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating as well. A really that's one where I was like, an, a really interesting gambit. I, on the one hand, I feel like if you're going to have a, a lineup where half of your books are bi weekly, I think you have to roll back to two ninety nine. You know, I, I think I could yeah, be wrong. The entire line. No, no, I know, I mean, but like, which it's is very pretty... surprising that they're not like, okay, so Batman is twice a month, and that's two ninety nine. But you know, super duper Batman, right? Is three ninety nine. Well, but I think, but I think that as far as I can tell, and it, I, I think this makes sense. If you're going to take what's arguably, and we'll come to that, your most positive, your, your most popular characters and put them in bi-weekly titles at 299 which, which is what they've done with every single one you can't you can't take your your less popular characters and up those to 399 monthly sure. like sure. you're just choking you're just you know it's true you, you can't really get away by saying i don't know bad girl you could arguably arguably get away with saying it's a 399 book uh yeah ar- arguably yeah. And I feel like I feel like you could with some of them. Like Trinity is another one that is is a book that I think could arguably be a, a, a three ninety nine book because it's got all the big names. I don't know. It's, it, there's some there's some weird and interesting things there. The the titles where it's actually not clear what any of these things are going to be. Like what is Superwoman? What is Super Sons? What is the Superman? Mm-hmm. You know, like that. There's really no idea what they might be. That's that's potentially interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like a lot of the rumors are coming true. Right. You know, uh, especially, oh, you saw that Tom King is now DC exclusive? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, and I also saw, thank goodness, that he's finishing up the Vision at 12, or his run on the Vision at 12. So I'm really relieved about that because I think early departure for him on that would have been really sad making for me. Yeah, I you know, it's it's true. And it looks like there's a variety of exclusives and semi-exclusives that are that are uh happening there. Um, you know, seeing someone seeing like Sam Humphreys who's apparently going DC exclusive uh seeing David it, it, Walker he, going that's, off. That's announced. I, I I thought that that was on the front page of Bleeding Ghoul. Yeah, so it was on the front page of Bleeding Ghoul. So yeah. Who knows? Right. <laughs> right. Well, let, let's what just is, say, yeah. There it is, apparently, according to Twitter, and I'm not sure if this is literally real or people are just joking. Uh-huh. Uh, Superwoman is apparently a Lois Lane series written by Meredith Finch. 
Wow. I could see that. I could see that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I, I'm not saying that that's... Yeah, well, because I don't necessarily know if... I, I, I'll just put this out there. Her Wonder Woman has not been stellar. It's not been stellar, but I, I, I have to say, but I don't also think... I also think that it's not especially terrible. And, A, I feel that DC <laughs> needs you know, needs is keeping their eye on trying to keep their diversity uh, behind the scenes. Uh, And plus it's one of those things where she's tied to David Finch. So even if they do or don't get Finch, David Finch on that to, to draw it, which I kind of pray to God, they don't, you know, I'd be very surprised if they don't. Uh, I kind of, I would be surprised as well. I think if they were smart, if there was any way they could get around that, because because here's the thing, I think I do not think that that the Finch's uh, Wonder Woman issues were especially good. I do not think they were especially terrible. They actually seemed. <laughs> I would argue with you. In that well, case. and it makes sense because I think you've read beyond the first two or three issues that I read. That I read personally. I, I, here's the thing: they're not especially terrible in that you read an issue and you're like, "This is the worst comic ever." Mm-hmm. But they are especially terrible insofar as. You read enough of them, mm-hmm. and you just realize that you've you've sort of gone to a, a new level of I don't care. Yeah, like it it burns away any goodwill you have for the character of the series by the amount that you do not care about it. Sure, sure, I I I, I get that, and and part of me is like, hopefully that will be worked with and adjusted. But I have to say that. Um, you know that catastrophic run on Wonder Woman by uh, uh, what's her name, um, the Jodie Pacul. Yeah, Jodie Pacul. Which you know that those those issues were a little heavy on the train wrecky side. You know, it, at least the ones that I read. And I, I think you know she was just too much. Oh no, we'll see. Let's put it this way: uh, if, if the if D, if the DC rebirth has a focus on bringing in teams and working with them in a way that is not, you know, the rumored, you know, DC chair and whip uh, editorial fashion, but, but is it, but, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that Finch could come along. Well, that being said, part of me is like, I believe the rumor is that Marguerite Bennett might be doing uh, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. And bi-weekly. And I'm kind of, I'm honestly not sure anyone could pull that off. Oh, I, I, I am super curious. Holy shit. Okay, so more news is literally coming in. Oh, my God. This is Meredith like it. Finch, Meredith Finch is doing Superwoman, and it is Lois Lane. Okay. The Superman is a Lex Luthor series written by Brian Azzarello. Interesting. Okay. Okay. That makes that makes a lot of sense for the way that he's broken it up. Not just the weirdo pun in the title that we now see with, with Azzarello, right? So yeah. so yeah, Marguerite Bennett on Wonder Woman, and I I've I don't know I'm kind of mixed on Bennett. I haven't read enough of her comics. Like I actually liked her uh, Beasts, Beast or Beasts. I don't remember the the sort of Beauty and the Beast. I want to say it was a one shot from yeah from yeah, from Rosie from Press. Rosie Press. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I actually thought that that was uh, was pretty decent. Actually, now that that so, but I, so, I actually I have a lot of time 
from Marguerite Bennett, actually. Um, Do you? She, yeah, she, you, you read, you have read some stuff by her. She yeah. had a fill in, in Batman at some point. Yeah, she did, she did at least, she did at least um, one, she, if not two found, of the annuals. She's bounced around various places for a while now. Yeah. She's had this weird, like, journeyman career crushed into, like, two years, which is mm-hmm. kind of amazing. Yeah. But I guess that's the way, that's the speed of comics these days. But she has done a significant amount of Marvel at DC by this point. Yes. Um, her Angela is actually really good. Mm. Uh, she co-wrote Angela with Kieran Gillen for the first run, and she's writing the second run solo. Um, and it's actually, it's, yeah, I, I like it. She did, her Bombshells is great, mm. which is her DC title, the, mm-hmm. the retro DC title. I yeah. really like Bombshells. Um, so, I I think she could pull it off. It depends on the artist. Because Wonder Woman is really a series where if you get the wrong artist, it kind of doesn't matter how good the writing is. No, no. Well, I mean, that's actually one of the things that's really challenging about Wonder Woman is this. I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't tracking, but I would say that at least for the first 12 to maybe 16 issues, I would say that there was a considerable, a certain amount of heat to Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang doing Wonder Woman. I felt like it yeah, was... I, I, feel, I feel that was a buzzy book for a while, for maybe the first couple of years of the New 52. Yeah, exactly. And then I feel like that buzz died, and I don't know if that's... I mean, I, I want to say that that is actually a uh, problem with Azzarello's books in the long run, generally, when he does a long run on stuff. Um but I also feel, you know, but I was also getting the sense that maybe it was Wonder Woman as well, you know. I, I think I think it kind of is because if you think about like the the Wonder Woman runs that people have been excited about, they have all started with like, oh my god, and basically by like year two, right? Without the quality really shifting one way or another, mm-hmm. people have just moved on. Yeah, uh, like even George Perez's run. I think is arguably the hottest Wonder Woman has been as a character in mm-hmm. our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People were kind of bored that big within a year. Yeah, but I mean that's Perez. But even like, for example, I I feel like Rucka's run, which was which had um, certainly Rucka. a very devoted number of yes. followers, I, and I I was one of those followers. I I uh, and even being sewn very tightly into the countdown to. Uh, yes. Infinite crisis continuity, right. you know, which, which actually was its undoing, I would argue, because the people who were fans of Rucka's Wonder Woman uh, had to watch basically that book die in order for Countdown to Infinite Crisis to happen. There are like it literally just stops. <laughs> there is no resolution to any of the long-running storylines, mm-hmm. um, and I think Rucka's actually said publicly that he thought he was coming back to the book after Infinite Crisis. Oof. That he. Like, he, as far as he was concerned, he wasn't done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they're like, and now we have, I can't even remember, was it who? Uh, it was the guy who wrote Young Avengers, the first volume of Young Avengers. I can't remember Oh, the reboot with Alan Heinberg? Was Alan that? Heinberg. Yeah. Alan Heinberg followed on. But then again, that only lasted six issues. Six, and six, not six monthly issues, if yeah, you recall. five issues on an annual. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, and then Jody Pickle came on, and, and tanked the book mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not sure how much of that is her although her issues are not good um, and how much of that is the fact that she was clearly given a this is what happens in your comic right there there seemed to be a problem with editorial <laughs> fiat well, it was amazing you bring in a novelist who actually has some some cachet with with a, a fandom and you go 
you can have two issues to play with as you want, and then the, the remaining issues of your run are going to lead into Amazon's attack. And also, they won't finish that storyline. The end of that storyline is going to have to be done by someone else. Which I don't know if that was if that was I guess that was mandated, but I wonder if they were kind of like, oh, this will be great. You can do this too. And she's like, mm, you know what? I actually get paid a lot of money to write <laughs> like, whatever I, I want. Have other things to do. Yeah, it's, um, no, yeah. but 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 not even as in like continues in in Amazon's attack. I mean, the Amazon's attack tie-ins for the Wonder Woman series oh. continue past her run, which is just, I mean, it all told, all of it was a nightmare. Yeah. It was terribly done. But then you'd Gail Simone come on, and again, the book almost became buzzy. It was a strange thing where people were like, yeah, this is kind of good. Right. And, but it never quite turned into a, you should pick up Wonder Woman, as much as, this is much better than we've had. Right. There's just something, uh, there's a, Wonder Woman is one of those books that is, just tends whatever reason and personally i think that half of it is, is it takes um you get a take on the character and people are like "Ooh, this take ah and then depending on what happens next either it you know editors are like hey people are paying attention to wonder woman let's fold it into the rest of the universe and make it work even better and you know fuck it up or the tone gets changed up. But honestly, I just kind of feel like like Gail Simone's run. I mean, admittedly, I, 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 I'm talking out of both sides of my ass here because I literally didn't read it, was not reading <laughs> her work. But I, I just felt like there was a point at which it's like Wonder Woman is an inert gas. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> doesn't. You can't do it. It's like interesting. You can fill up a couple of balloons with it, but then after a while, you're like, "Is that it? Can I like do anything else with this?" And and it almost feels like no. You know, I mean, I spent. A, a... I, I think you have to have someone who, like Hazarello did, but not with Hazarello's ideas so much. Literally, just comes in and goes, "Fuck everything. This is Wonder Woman." Because for all. People have the problems with Azrael's Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And I think there are legitimate complaints to be made uh, from the feminist viewpoint about what Azrael did to Wonder Woman. Um, he did just come in and was like, fuck it. This is, this is Wonder Woman. This is what I'm doing. This is it. This is the character now. And I, I think that you really need that because... Whereas with Superman or Batman, you can go, remember the classics? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm doing a callback to Man of Steel. I'm doing a callback to Dark Knight. I'm doing a callback to Engelhart and Rogers. I'm doing a call, you know? Right. With Wonder Woman, what do you do? I'm doing a callback to Roy Thomas and Gene Colan. I'm doing a callback to Jerry Conway and Jose Delbo. Which is actually really interesting because I have to say, one of my absolute favorite issues, which I know I've talked about on this podcast several times is Azarello and Chang's uh, issue zero of Wonder Woman, which was a <laughs> callback to, yes. to sort of that Bob Oskner, you know, uh, Jim Mooney era of, of Wonder Girl adventures or whatever, which, and I really did. Like that sucker, as, I, as I've personally anecdotally testified, that thing works like gangbusters on a, on a five-year-old girl. That had, that which, had her spellbound. Yeah. You know, I think you actually weirdly. I would. I think I've said this before in the podcast. I'd love to see an all ages Wonder Woman title. Yeah, just just like Superman gets action in Superman, 
and Batman gets the text from Batman, I wish he would just fucking bite the bullet and go, you get the Wonder Woman title, that's your DCU title, you get Sensation, and yeah. it's 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 literally an, a, an ongoing, not an anthology book like the digital one, but it's an ongoing YA series. Yeah, because I, I do get that sense. I mean, and look looking at the, I, the takes on read? Sensation comics, I want to say... That split pretty much firmly into two groups. And it was one group was stuff that was very strongly in the kind of uh, Rucka Perez warrior world diplomat stories. And then the other half was in YA, this is super fun, you know, Wonder Woman's in a band, Wonder Woman like escapes from Paradise Island against her mother's wishes and learns to do dance dance revolution with friends, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I think I think that would work. I'm sorry, you said, have I read? Uh, Legends of the of Wonder Woman, the, the current digital series that's also just coming out in print, uh, Rene Dilley's book. Oh, you know, I want to say I picked up the first issue of it. The art was beautiful, and it it bored me so excruciatingly. I really... I I was going to say, I think that's the book that is really close to what I'd want Sensation to be. Yeah. Like, really, really close. Uh, Weirdly enough, my biggest problem is not the writing, but the lettering, which drove me up a fucking wall. Um, But... It's, it's like, if you can do that on a monthly basis, what I really genuinely want is, do you remember the Wonder Woman strip that was in Wednesday Comics with Ben Caldwell doing the art? Uh, I don't. I want that. I want that comic. <laughs> I, I would love to see that. I don't know. I yeah, There's there's so much stuff I'd love to see in Wonder Woman. And this is this is that weirdo thing with me where I say that, but A, I don't necessarily... No, like I kind of have some inklings, like I'm kind of like, yes, but a little more to the left, you know, or yes, but I mean, I want her to be a little more wisecracky. Okay, now she's wisecracky, but I kind of want her to have a bit more angst. Okay, now I would like it if she was taking photographs for the Daily Bugle and swinging on webs. Okay, that's better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just don't necessarily know what I want or, or, or how much you can really trust me with that. But it, but I do feel like there is that sort of I, – I feel like Wonder Woman is a character that can click. And, and maybe Marguerite Bennett is going to totally, like, do a fabulous job with that. But I, I also have a weird thing of part of me is, like, if Wonder Woman is selling – 27,000 copies, and believe me, I'm pulling that number right out of the air. Like, I don't even know what that she was... I want to say she was maybe selling 40K under Azarello and Chang, um, you know, uh, out of the gate, and then it slowly dropped down to maybe the low 30s? No. No, when it launched, I bet it was above 40 when it launched, but Mm -hmm. it's probably... Let's face it, probably it's DC. probably settled into, like... Low 30s, high 20s. Right. Um, September 2011. Let's see where Wonder Woman is, shall we? Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. Yeah, she sold 76,000 copies. Well, of issue one. But what was yeah. she selling by issue six? <laughs> Let's go and see, shall we? I know, we shall. Fun with my uh, uh-huh. 54,000. Oh, that's nice. Okay, that's great. That's great. 
So, um, so yeah, some decent sales. I just – and if she can pull that – but part of me is like in my brain. I'm like I think a character that I'm used to thinking of uh, apparently mistakenly as selling, like you said, in the high 20s, low 30s. I'm not sure Bike Weekly is going to help that. I mean, maybe they're thinking like we will have biweekly, you know, like okay, twenty seven thousand and a biweekly two ninety nine title is great. Part of me is like looking at it right now under uh, the Finches, and I I genuinely think like enthusiasm for the Finches Wonder Woman is really at an all time yeah, low. Yeah, is, is on the wane. Yeah. It's still selling thirty two thousand. That's fabulous. Okay, then I'm like, really it's, it's off. Selling yeah. action comics. It's right. out selling Grayson. Uh-huh. It's out selling Robinson of Batman. Superman <laughs> Wonder Woman is out selling Swamp Thing, uh, Deathstroke, Batgirl. It's handily out selling Batgirl. See, uh, look at you guys. That's great. Okay, I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong. This is that's great news, and uh, obviously people have a much more higher tolerance for the Finch's unique blend of. Um, turgid than you or you or i do so i think that's great yeah I, uh, we'll see we'll see i i her her one woman is uh, is not my cup of tea interesting uh, but although it has to be said one woman is one of those characters where it has to be the right creative team like i will i will stick with green lantern through a lot of shit right just cuz i really like the green lantern concept like i am a i am a fan of the green lantern concept mm-hmm. more than i am and same with superman i will read a bad superman comic in the same way that like you will read a bad batman comic exactly exactly uh, Whereas Wonder Woman is not like that for me. Wonder Woman has to be not just the right career team, but the right story. Well, see, that's it. I, that's the thing that I think is tough with Wonder Woman is it's not – you've got to have the right creative team like and the right take. Like there is something like she's just sort of a – it's a recipe you can get wrong. It's it's not like yeah, Batman, it, it really is. you know – Batman is a recipe you can get wrong and people will still tune in. One well, room is a recipe it. you get wrong. I, yeah. that's, the other thing is, because of the nature of these reboots, and I think this is something that Marvel, all new, all different Marvel, is, is pointing out very quickly, you have so little time to get it right now. If you stumble out of the gate, you're, you're gone. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. You've got you've got to get it right. I'm, I mean, I, I, looked at the, I was looking at the, the sales figures for Marvel in January. Do you know what Marvel's worst selling Marvel Universe book is? I should okay, know because you hinted you know at it say? last time. Uh-huh. You know what I'll say? I'll say, do you know what the worst selling book is in terms of issue number? In terms of issue number? In terms of the yeah. number of issues they sell? Or you mean in terms of like. In terms of like what. Is it issue one? Is it issue two? Is it issue three? Is it issue four? Okay, I've you've got to tell me. It's Starbrand and Nightmask number two. Wow. Number two. Yeah. That's stunning to me. Well, because I think that that... Number two, though. <laughs> but, but I do think... That, and, 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 I was sold by Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Like, yeah. five. That's yeah. nuts. Well, because I... Issue of something is... I mean, and it sells terribly as well. Mm-hmm. I get that particular metric. But it makes sense. In, in an over crowded marketplace things die faster right because you know but number two just genuinely floored me i honestly was like yeah you know books will be fine until like the third or fourth issue right <laughs> but the worst selling thing is a number two that's astounding to me 
genuinely stunning. It sort of reminds me of, uh, I want to say pre-implosion DC. Like DC back in the 70s, there was that period where they were just like publishing stuff, just anything. They were just (laughs) like – like Yeah, if you read – if people out there who like their comics history, if at all possible – Try and get yourself a DC book with a house ad, or rather, specifically, the house editorial, the mm, month mm-hmm. before the DC explosion, when you pretty much get an editorial that's like, we're just going to be throwing shit out there. Yeah. We're going to just see what happens. We're in Innovation, like, you can't even believe we're mm-hmm. literally throwing shit against the wall. <laughs> And it's true. And it was that stuff is like, we're here, number one, all new, canceled at number four. You know? And I mean, that's so. For two. That's true. There was shit that was just. It really was like, you know, two months later, DC shits the bed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, but it, it's, I, I really do think that uh, for something like Wonder Woman where, I mean, the title is going to be, the character's iconic, like genuinely iconic. Uh the Batman Superman film is going to raise her profile in a way that it hasn't been since she's been on television. A, the fact that they're then waiting until June to launch the book just seems wacky to me, but I've already complained about this. Mm-hmm. And B, that you then have essentially one chance to get it right. Like, one chance. It's just... I can't conceive of that pressure. Yeah. Well, you know, so... And, and it's not just Wonder Woman anymore. It's all of these titles. Well, it's I was going to say... Everything like, on the old different Marvel as well. Do, do you mind going through that list? And if you don't want to stick with DC, because it's true. Like you said, it, it is it is a problem that is spread across oh, you want, both of You want to go through the, the DC list again? Yeah, okay. the, very slowly, you, and we'll just oh, sort of handicap okay. it, right? Aquaman. Okay. Well, it's really hard to handicap because we have no idea who the creative teams are. I mean, Aquaman with, you know, whatever, Fabian Nysitia and and, and Paul Pelletier, that's going to do nothing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But at the same time, Aquaman by, uh, Aquaman by Jonathan Lethem and Farrell Dorimple. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you're just being cheeky. But no, no but... Do you know what I mean? Like, if you have the right team and the right team can be I can't even imagine that let me pick it up right well and see, it turns out it works I I actually I, think that if it's like I, I was actually more thinking like if it's going to be like uh you know Jeff Johns or maybe like I don't know like someone crazy like uh Jeff Loeb and Ethan Van Skeever or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, okay. People will be like, I will, I will check that out. You know? But so yeah, Aquaman uh, before the new Fifty Two, it would have seemed ridiculous. But clearly, we saw a new Fifty Two uh, interest in in Aquaman that suggests that with the with the right team, yes, you you can go somewhere with that. So also, I, did I tell you that Jeff Johns doesn't seem to be writing any of these books? That would not surprise me. That wouldn't. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Johns officially is off Justice League with issue fifty, which means that the solicit which came out this week for him writing issue fifty one is wrong. Wow, came out this week, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, th- there and is all, that it stuff. Also means yeah. that for the for at least two of the new fifty two books, mm-hmm. their final issues is fill in because the final issue of Batman is a fill in as well. It's uh, James Tynion in fourth and someone else uh, writing and someone else drawing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which is just like finish the book the month earlier, right? But they don't, don't like don't, don't end in the villain. Yeah, it's just ah uh, ha ha ha. Anyway, <laughs> um, okay, Batman. 
which as far as we know is Tom King writing. Sounds and potentially very quite it's strong. The Flash. Again, it's probably going to be fine. I think so. I think so. I think the, I think the Flash is but one it, where, like... I hey, have to tell you. Yeah. Uh, after the Dark Side War one shot, I really hope that Rob Williams is writing it. Oh yeah, you were saying you really liked his. his stuff, yeah. a great Flash one shot. Green Arrow. Again, it'll be fine. See, I'm like the opposite. I'm like I do not think the Green Arrow sells in. Oh, no, I, I, I don't. I don't think it's going to sell Gangbusters, but it'll, it'll be fine. What's your definition of fine? Twenty five thousand copies published. You know, bi weekly. I'm going to say around thirty. Uh, and if they're smart, and hey, they're not going to be, but if they're smart, <laughs> they get Mark Guggenheim to write it because he's fucking working on the Green Arrow TV show. You know, like that's that's kind of a no brainer to me, which almost guarantees it won't happen. But th- but that's that seems to be the obvious gimme. Mm-hmm. You know, you get someone from the TV show to write it, and you pretty much just go, okay, he's he's the guy from the TV show. He's he the guy, the- yeah, and he's got the goatee beard. Everyone's happy. Green Lanterns, which does. Does seem to be the Jessica Cruz character from Justice League, by the way, hmm. because the the graphic from Rebirth features the silhouette of a female Green Lantern. So sure, okay. So that's one Green Lantern title biweekly with a newish lantern. Yes. I, do you want the second one? That I think is also biweekly. Let me check if the second yeah, one is. I bi-weekly. thought you said that it was. I thought you said that Hal uh, Jordan and the... yeah, it is. Hal mm-hmm. Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps is also biweekly. Yeah, which means that hey, now you get four Green Lantern comics a month. Yeah, I mean that is uh, that's that that is again part of me is like during the heyday of Johns's era, I sort of feel like that could be done. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, certainly if they've got a new take, if there's a strong enough take and a strong enough team, sure. But part of me is like, really? Like a weekly Green Lantern comic? I mean, you know, two Green Lanterns, uh, th- th- you know. There's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which Venditti and, and the, the team who basically followed John's kind of did and then managed to screw the pooch on, which is... You set one in space and you set one on Earth. And that that's your split. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's now Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps makes me think that they're going to try and set that in space and on Earth. Yeah. Which seems, seems like the opposite way to go, if you ask me. But we'll see. Um, I mean, let's not forget, there is, what, four Spider-Man books, including two Spider- three Spider-Men. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but but who knows? What do we know? Well, true. But part of me is like, yeah, but that's that's Spider Man. I mean, no offense, but it's Spider Man. Like Green Lantern <laughs> is a great character. He he he. I think he's a he's a very strong concept. And as you it's, can see, when you get someone concept, to do gangbusters, but, but Spider Man yeah. is also sort to me sort of like Batman. You know? Yeah. In no, no. That, I, I I think yeah. You're, I think you're totally right. Okay, Superman. I'm actually really curious about Superman because rumor is this Pete Tomasi writing Superman in action, mm. um, which I quietly believe he can do a good job. Mm-hmm. I also think that unless they get a superstar artist on there, that book's going to be in trouble because he's just he's just not a big name. Well, Tama- you're right, Tama- but I don't know. I I think it'll it'll be interesting to see see what happens. Like you said, they're gonna they're gonna need artists. So action is also biweekly, or no? Action is also biweekly. Yeah. So again, we've got a situation where, and if you've got one writer there, 
I don't know. I could see it going a lot of different ways because I think that Tomasi is one of those guys who um, can do like kind of underrated solid work, or he can do well, sort of flimsy it. work. You know? Yeah, Tomasi. I, and I say this as someone who really likes some of his work. Yes. But Tomasi, at his best, mm-hmm. is kind of watered down Jeff Johns. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, yeah. I feel I feel a little nervous, to be perfectly honest with you, about what, what they're doing. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. No, and we'll... and this does go back to, I think, what we were saying on, on last episode, which is that that DC's needs to be able to like it's is certainly not perceived as having a list talent or a lot of a list names that that the number of names that you can get seems kind of scant you know what i mean and Pete Tomasi is one of those guys who's been in the field a long time but is not an a list name it's interesting i don't even necessarily know if there's a lot is, yeah what if this is the title that pushes them mainstream like, what if it's the titles that people just lose their shit about? And again, I think if you get a good enough artist on there, mm-hmm. on on Superman and, and action, mm-hmm. you know, the problem with this is, of course, with the bi-monthly, with the bi-weekly titles, you're going to have to say, you get a good enough rotating team of artist teams. Yeah. Yeah, see, because that's the other thing no with bi-weekly. Yeah. You just, yeah. you've, you've got to get into a situation where you're... Where you're doing what I guess other bi-weekly books have done, which is that you get an artist lined up to do, you know, the arc, and you give them a, enough yeah. of a head start, you, yeah. and then you, you rotate follow your the, teams. the Marvel model, yeah. where there's no such thing as a regular artist anymore, yeah. but there are consistent art teams that rotate. Exactly, exactly. Uh, anyway, so Wonder Woman, we've talked about mm-hmm. Detective Comics, uh, is rumored to be the Scott Snyder book? Scott Snyder and the All-Star Band. It seems to me like that That seems like a super pretty safe bet, I think, but I would say... I I wonder if that is actually is going to be the Scott Snyder book, because Detective is also bi-weekly, and mm-hmm. I don't see Scott Snyder doing a bi-weekly Batman book. Yeah, I'll be fascinated. I, I yeah, yeah. Uh, unless it's literally Scott Snyder and James Tynan. See, and that's uh, what I'm a little or, worried about. Yeah, is, or is like it... it's Snyder and Tynan and they switch off arcs or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, or uh, or they see. do a quasi-Gotham Central type yeah. model. Um, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, we talked about it's Justice League. I mean, Justice League should be fine. Again, it depends who they get as the creative team. Um, Nightwing? Yeah, be kind of curious, right? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I could be wrong, and suspect that that they're uh, I assume they're gonna try and give it to Tim Seeley, unless they've got something else lined up for him. You know, I think he's been you know he was one half of the Grayson team. He put in some some uh, heavy lifting on Batman and Robin Eternal, including the stuff that sets up the return for for Dick Grayson's return as Nightwing. So yeah, we'll we'll yeah. see where that goes. Batgirl. Right. Assuming it's going to do similar numbers. Although the rumor, and this is complete happenstance, this this hasn't even been said by Bleeding Cool, so I'm off the reservation. Wow, look out, world. Okay. Uh, The rumor is that it's not going to be Babstar or Cameron Stewart. It's just going to be Brendan Fletcher with the new art team. Shit. Boy, see, that's what I was actually Which, worried about. Because again, it's that thing. It's got to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, there's also Batgirl and Birds of Prey, which I am—I would lay money is also going to be Brandon Fletcher. Uh, yeah, 
I would lay money it is. I think it's going to be the replacement book to Black Canary. Like, just an outright replacement. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Annie Wu is doing the art for her, even. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, the Hellblazer. Ooh, I missed that. As Wait, not as bi-weekly. Uh, no, I think the Hellblazer. Monthly. Oh, thank God. So are we out of the bi-weekly ones? I'm, I'm, we're going in and out. So oh, I see. Okay, all right. All right, so you got me moving. Hellblazer, sure. If it's monthly, sure. It's going to be It's going to be Hellblazer. It's going to be like, hey, here's the book we destroyed and hey. don't know how to sell. Hey. <laughs> um, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Right. right. Let's just be honest. That's a book that no one can believe is still running. Well, yeah, I have a, my theory about it is, is that I've, I've realized, and I think people who remember like, uh, our, uh, crossover episode where, uh, I spent time talking about the Red Hood book and talking about with you, Graham, I think the only bigger fan of Red Hood than me is Dan DiDio. So I honestly think that as long as DiDio's around, you're going to get a Red Hood title somewhere. You know, because uh, we'll uh, again. I'll be very surprised to see what the creative team is. Yeah, or very interested, I should say, to see because if it really is Scott Lobdell, mm-hmm. then then that just <laughs> that seems insane to me. Well, it, it may be, it might not be. I don't know. I I'm not sure what what is what. Do you know what current Red Hood numbers are? I mean, maybe yes. they're just like uh, twenty two thousand. 22,000. Yeah, I would be really shocked if it's going to be Scott Lobdell. Well, but here's the thing. 22,000, but DC's numbers are in the toilet. I mean, DC's numbers genuinely are in the toilet. Batman Beyond is getting a new series and it's selling Mm 20,000. Earth 2 is getting a new series and it's selling 19,000. Well, yeah, because I think the idea is they think... Red Hood uh, Arsenal outsells Green Arrow. Wow. It outsells Green Arrow and you thought Green Arrow is going to be fine at a a bi-weekly? I honestly think Green Arrow will be fine if if they just a if it's not the book that it is right now, mm-hmm. and b if they manage to tie it in closer to the TV show. I honestly think you lean into that TV show. No, they should lean into the TV show. Although one thing that I think is uh, fascinating, and I say this as somebody who's seen this is great. It's pretty much like. Welcome, dear listeners, to the Ignoramus episode, where Jeff, who follows nothing, will give opinions on everything. Uh, the Arrow TV show, doesn't it seem like it gets a certain amount of heat from, uh, well, sort of, I mean, let's face it, washboard abs are not nearly as interesting in comic book form as they are in real life, but I'm sure there are people who disagree with me on that. But it also seems, from what I watched of Arrow, is it seemed like they had very... They had cobbled together a bunch of stuff from Green Arrow and corners of the DC universe that fit Green Arrow very well. Oh, no, honestly, the Arrow TV show is honestly, how can we do Batman without calling it Batman? Interesting. Oh, okay. It's, an Arrow TV show is kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, no, it really is. It's because you have Rachel Ghoul is the bad guy for a while. Right. Um, but it's, it's, you know what it is? It's Batman and Teen Titans, and new Teen Titans huh. put together. But they've decided, because you also have Deathstroke. Is well, so you've got Deathstroke, and Damian I want to say Dark. Huntress is in there, right? Yeah, but Damien Dark is also the wow. bad guy this season. Damien Dark, Jeff. Um, you have, like, Felicity Smoke, who, once again, proving that without Jerry Conway, there would be no DC television. Felicity Smoke has basically become Oracle, uh, in all but name. 
you know, you have all these weird – it is honestly, what if we, you know, we've read all these comics when we were kids. Right. They have nothing to do with Green Arrow. But what if we just say they did? No, no, no. And I get that. And I think that was my point. Is this, And I think that is actually pretty wonderful. There's like a high amount of sort of – Surprise fans. In other words, how do I put it? The Green Arrow mythos on TV that they've cobbled together that it's, people it's are fans it's, of. It's really difficult to do in the comics because none of it belongs to Green Arrow. Exactly. It's yeah. all spread out all over all these other um, yeah. titles. So, so I think that I think that is my my worry that it might be um, more difficult to pull off than you might I, think. I would I would like to report that while we've been talking, uh, <laughs> Meredith Finch's Superwoman and. Uh, Brian Azarello's Superman have apparently been revealed as fake. What? Yep. <laughs> apparently someone uh, got it on Bleeding Cool just by making shit up and emailing and pretending to be a retailer in Comics Pro. <laughs> really? Amazing. Wow. I love so much. I love that so much. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Let's keep going, shall we? Um, where do we get? Got to right in the nail. Okay, the Superman mystery book. We have no idea. Titans. Titans. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say I'm actually – wait, is Titans – and is Titans biweekly or no? I got the Titans. sense it was. Titans it, is monthly. Oh, it's monthly. Okay. I think – I feel like that's not a bad choice. Um, I think it's basically the spinoff of the Titans Hunt book, which I have right. to say – really been enjoying and surprised by how much I'm enjoying it. Yeah, you've said and I I have I, I am looking forward to checking it out. It's another one where sales are kind of in the toilet though, so I'm fascinated. I mean but, apart from the fact again, that Yeah. DC sales are in the toilet. It's right. like I honestly let's see Titans Hunt. Yeah, oh and then again, it outsells Red Hood. It outsells Aquaman. It outsells Green Arrow. Okay. All right. So, well, so here's a question, again, Graham. In the toilet, that's 23,000. I think in the past we've talked about how when Marvel relaunches their books with their same creative teams, mm-hmm. people look askance at it. It it doesn't seem like we're not we're not altogether sure if that results in a significant bump. Yeah, or or I rather actually, a lasting bump, I should say. I'm going to say that it doesn't. I'm going yeah. to say I write that it doesn't. Um, did you see on the beats today they had the, the analysis of the Marvel numbers? Oh, no. I would love to have seen that. And it's um, it's not looking good. Yeah. We got into trouble. Did you see someone call us Fox News on, on Twitter? Yes. Poor Perry. I was on vacation and I came back and saw that. And I'm like, oh, I got to send him a note. And, and they were just like, fuck you, I've talked to retailers, Marvel's doing great. First of all, I would disagree with that, but I did go, I actually did number crunching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took out the number ones, and I took out, uh, and I basically compared the average sales for a Marvel title mm-hmm. in January this year with the average sales for a Marvel title in January last year. Hmm. And they're pretty much the same. The average sale is around 30-odd thousand, like low 30,000. Uh, it's gone down slightly. It's gone from like 34,000 to 32,000. Uh, but but basically, Marvel is relatively stable. Um, it's doing much better as a company now because it's Star Wars and because they are relaunching everything. Mm-hmm. The problem is, when you look at the titles that have been around for a while as part of all you know, different, they really aren't holding up. As someone pointed out on the beat today, the 
Amazing Spider-Man relaunch. And Amazing Spider-Man has been the most consistent and highest seller for Marvel for years now. Uh, it's knocked off 10,000, which is, is, is not good at all. Well, okay. It complicates things. Well, in terms of a relaunch? Well, okay. So, so issue 18 of the Amazing Spider-Man volume, whatever, fuck, volume 4, volume 3, um, which was a fill-in by Jerry Conway, sold 88,000. And issue 6 of the new series by Dan Slott, the end of the first arc, is 76,000. Okay. It's I- dropped 245,000 for issue 1. <laughs> <laughs> True. Six thousand. Right now, now I could I could totally be wrong. I could totally be wrong. So this is one of those areas where you, who actually have a brain and knowledge, can can contradict me. But I want to say, and I could be wrong, that the Spider-Man titles, with the exception of when they were doing, say, Spider-Man and Superior Spider-Man, that. The majority that Spider-Man up until recently has been focused into quote unquote one title. And, and by that, I yeah. mean like yeah. Peter Parker, Spider-Man, right? So, yes. and I feel that now there are multiple Peter Parker, Spider-Man titles on the market. And if there are three, if you count Spider-Man, Deadpool is one of them, which, which I do, which okay. I do. So three, right. So there's Spidey. There's Spider-Man. There's 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 Amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man mm-hmm. There's uh, Spider-Man, Deadpool, and there's Spidey. Right. I... Separately, there's also Spider-Man, <laughs> which right. is a Miles Morales book. Yes. So I actually buy uh, I I I buy I buy either two of those four or two of those three, depending on who you ask. So. I, I, and I could be wrong, but I'm I'm like if they have more Spider-Man titles, and they've only slipped ten thousand on the Dan Slot title. I think that's actually arguably a good sign, because previously for people who wanted a Spider-Man comic, your choices were basically. That, well, no, because if you, you if know? you well if you go back a year, you have Spider-Man, you have Spider-Man and the X-Men. Mm-hmm. You have Ultimate yeah, Spider-Man. Spider-Man and the X-Men. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. turned out to be great. Did I tell you that? <laughs> no, you didn't tell me it that. It genuinely turns out to be a really great comic. Uh, who did it? Elliot, is it Elliot Callen? The, the guy who used to write for um, uh, The Daily Show. Um, and it's it's just a funny com- It's It's honestly the spirit of Wolverine and the, the X-Men from Jason Aaron. Because the plot is, after Wolverine dies, he basically in his will is like, okay... Peter Parker, you have to come and teach these kids. And also, one of these kids is is a bad guy, and you have to find out who it is. Oh, that's a nice so Gallon then goes, I'm going to get this plot out of the way fairly quickly. But also, I, the the villain of my first couple of issues is Stegron. Ooh, the dinosaur, the dinosaur man, yeah. And Sauron, Sauron, the X-Men villain. Oh, that's great. I have to devolve everyone into dinosaurs. Nice. Nice. Right? It's just a fun book. I think that's just it. It's it's a very fun book. Huh. Uh, I'll have to check that out. Is it Marvel Unlimited has a chunk of those Marvel up? I think. Has all of it, yeah. Oh, wow. I will I will definitely look for that. But the, I want to say there's another Spider-Man book in there as well. Like, it's not like there's only been one Spider-Man book. It's the thing. It's just that the only real edition is Spidey. And then you had, like, the Marvel Adventure Spider-Man book up until really recently, which was essentially Spidey under a different name because it was Spider-Man in school. 
Yeah, you know, there's a couple of different things where I would quibble with that, but sure, sure. I think I think you're right. My where I'm and where I could totally be mistaken is I'm like, no, Graham, these these are ongoing Spider-Man titles. But these I, matter, I, but they I, don't. I, you know, I'm teasing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like yeah. honestly, Spide, like you said, Spidey is just Marvel Adventures Spider-Man with you know kind of a with shit hot artist. Don't you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Although it's interesting, the latest issue of that. What's that? Marvel Adventure Spider-Man is Chris Somney for a run. That oh right, Before which he was famous. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's that's some that guy. Some there's some great fucking stuff in the the uh, the last few issues of Marvel Adventure Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, Paul Tobin writes and Chris Somney's drawing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just good shit. Right. Well, there, um, there were a lot of <coughs> really good. Because when Nate Crosby Cosby was was editing it, uh, the 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 Marvel Kids line, there was a lot of really good solid work on being done yeah, under there. Them, was, so. And uh, I think we've said it before in here, but if not, people who have Marvel Unlimited and like us like funny superheroes. Yeah, uh, Jeff Parker's Avengers is is the go to comic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jeff Parker's Avengers is just hilarious and perfect. Yeah, and uh, anyway. Where were we? Where did we? Oh, we were talking about sales. Yeah, we were talking about sales. We jumped from DC over to okay, Marvel so and Spider-Man A-Force, and back. Yeah. A-Force, uh, issue one is 65,000. Mm-hmm. Thor is 60,000, mm-hmm. which is now 26,000 below the last issue of the previous Thor series. Ooh, yeah. That, I mean, there's which definitely is, ones that were hurt by that. That's, by that, that like, yeah. that's a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Deadpool is doing great. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, well, actually, no, it's not. That's surprising. I thought Deadpool was doing a lot better than it's doing. Oh, really? Huh. Deadpool's. Oh, it is. It's because the last issue of the previous series was a special issue and sold a, a shit ton. Yeah, oh, Deadpool's okay. better then. The average sales for Deadpool were like forty odds, and now they're uh, fifty nine. And like De- Deadpool's doing great. I'm curious as if they'll get if they'll get a bump from the, from movie, the movie, which I think they very well might. I hope. So well, we'll see. So I so here's the thing, and I could be wrong because I, you know, got someone. I'm thinking, oh, there's that other person who's like, yeah, ninety percent of everything Jeff says is I could be wrong. So I, I'm going to have to excise that little verbal tick uh, now on air with a priest and a lot of yelling and swearing. So uh, Jeff, Jeff, could you be wrong? I could be wrong but <laughs> it's not possible it is it's i can't i can't really concede but but it's i think that uh i think that deadpool if there ever there was a character that is um very available for jumping on points i feel like it's deadpool because because he's sort of an well for one thing Marvel has been sort of throwing sort of various self-contained one-shots and add-ons and and whatever, like in-jokes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But I I also think that the nature of the character is is that, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I'm just like, you don't have to worry about the status quo or being confused as to what's happened to the character between then and now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I think you're right. Silver Surfer issue one sold fifty seven thousand, which is like more than twice what it was selling when it was cancelled. But at the same time, it's an issue one, so who can tell? Thanks for not telling us what. Okay, wait. Do you remember what month uh, Avengers finished? God no, 
I don't. Well, it was must have been right before Secret Wars one, right? Or okay, so yeah, uh, Avengers issue forty four, which may or may not have been the last issue of mm-hmm. Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sixty two thousand, and all new all different Avengers is selling fifty seven thousand. Captain Marvel relaunched with fifty two thousand, which is probably good, right? Mm-hmm. I would think so, especially okay. – we'll see if, if it holds up, but that's the first issue without Kelly Sue, right? Or That is the first issue with Kelly Sue. Yeah, so uh, a Captain Marvel reboot without the highly popular charismatic writer is potentially a very good sign. Well, I mean it's too early time, to tell. They replaced it, yeah. her with the people behind Agent Carter, which arguably has as strong a fan base. That's a good you point. know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's, I almost feel like that was a zero, I, incredibly smart zero sum game on right. Marvel's part. I honestly feel like they replaced her with like the one team that they could replace her with. But uh, we'll see. Doctor Strange is, is, I mean, I, we've got a Doctor Strange book that's selling 52,000. That has to be a win. Yeah, absolutely. You and is what? it still at five, five dollars an issue too, or did they move it down to? Uh, it's gotta be four dollars. Yeah, okay. There's no way Doctor Strange is still five dollars an issue. That'd be nuts. Well, let me, let me look on Comixology. Because because uh, I didn't think so, but I remember picking it up and being kind of like, "Ooh, I can wait for this to I can, you know, I'm more than happy to wait for Marvel Unlimited for this." All new X Men issue three is at fifty thousand. Uh, All new X Men issue forty one, the previous issue of the last series, was at forty eight thousand. So by next month, <laughs> All new X Men will be selling less than it was when it ended last time. Uh, uh, all new Wolverine is at forty nine thousand, uh, which is pretty much where the last Wolverine series ended. Turns out, uh, Invincible Iron Man is at forty nine thousand. Let's call that a win, seeing as Superior Iron Man ended at thirty three thousand. I guess, sure. Uh, Spider Gwen, Spider Gwen again is one of these books that just was hurt by the by the sequel. absolutely. It's yeah. a forty-eight thousand, and it was at sixty-seven thousand before. Mm, like that that's, that's just nasty. Yeah. Um, Extraordinary X Men is at forty-seven thousand. I don't know what book that's replacing, so I can't compare it. Mm-hmm. Uncanny Avengers is at forty-seven thousand. Previous issue was uh, was cancelled. <laughs> Secret Wars. Uh, the previous <laughs> issue the series ended at forty-three thousand. Huh. So it's going to be below soon enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is at forty-six thousand. The previous series ended at forty-nine thousand. Mm. Uh, Daredevil is at forty-five thousand. The previous series ended at twenty-nine thousand. So that's good, right? Yeah, that's uh, Hulk is thirty-nine thousand. I have no idea what the previous series ended at. Agents of Shield, issue one, thirty-five thousand, which is just seems super low, right? I get Maybe it. I'm wrong. <laughs> just, Shield's very low. <laughs> Shield ended with 18,000, so maybe Shield just doesn't sell. Yeah. Uh, Uncanny Inhumans, 35,000, which is good considering Inhuman ended at 26,000. Spidey had a massive fucking drop between issue 1 and 2. Holy crap. 65,000 to 33,000. That's isn't. Um Silk. 33,000, the previous series ended at 36,000. New Avengers, 33,000, the previous series ended at 55,000. That's not nice. Um, Captain Marvel is at 32,000, the previous series ended at 33,000. So, eh, it's basically the same, really, let's face it. Wait, Captain uh, Ms. Marvel, or wait? Oh, sorry, Ms. Marvel. Okay, sorry. thank you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Captain America, Sam Wilson. Mm-hmm. 29,000, the previous series ended at 38,000. 
Uh, how are the drugs doing alright though? 26,000 versus 28,000? Uh, Spider-Man 2099, because that is a book that still exists. 28,000 when it ended last time, and is it 28,000 this time? Those Spider-Man 20, I think we know exactly how many Spider-Man 2099. Fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Uh, let's see, what else is still continuing? Uh, Hawkeye has gone down from 31,000 to 26,000. Ant-Man has gone down. That's a weird sales jump for Ant-Man. Why did Ant-Man issue 5 sell 83,000 when the previous issue it sold 31,000? You know, right? I feel like that got explained in a previous uh, beat analysis, but I don't remember what it is. Weird. Okay, but let's say that the previous series really hinted at 31,000. It's at 25,000 now. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it for the books that are continuing. Nope. Spider-Woman uh, is at 24,000 versus 23,000 when it ended. Hmm. Nova is at 23,000 versus 18,000 when it ended. Hmm. Um, Star-Lord is at 22,000 versus 25,000. Hmm. Squirrel Girl is literally at 19,000 both times. Right. Again, right. exactly how many Squirrel Girl fans there are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela is going to get cancelled 18,000 versus 22,000 mm. like that's just not nice um, and that's it for books that are, are returning and that's the sales figures everyone uh, dun, 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 dun. we should have a little special theme music Marvel sales may not be entirely tanking but they are not looking good Would they? let's put it this way once it relaunches and you have Star Wars they can yeah. keep going Sure, sure. I mean, the the thing that is just so frustrating is is just that the traditional logic is is that a a re particularly a reboot slash relaunch coming so out of out of a universe ending event and universe rebooting event like this is the closest that Marvel could have gotten to an actual genuine reboot, but. Because they just played it as a slightly higher stake version of like something we saw out of the heroic age or whatever, it just is kind of, um, I, well, the, you know, the, I think people were understandably cautious, you know, and people were also disappointed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I because Secret Wars really did get hyped up as like you'll never see this again. This is massive, and in the end they're like, it's just the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is different because. Well, see, and so I do think they're they're to to bring it back to DC and DC's rebirth. They had a certain amount of goodwill that they got with the new Fifty Two that that they more or less won by doing a lot of things to support the retailers and returnability, and those gambles really did pay off. I mean, if you know, as you and I and some of the people in the comments have pointed out. Uh, and again, I'm following my lead from from Brian Hibbs on this. Uh, a lot of lapsed readers came back into the stores, and then a lot of them ended up moving along to Image because New Fifty Two didn't necessarily do their thing. Now the retailers, if DC has to win over the retailers, and it, I'm I, and they in a way they almost really need to do it because two ninety nine is a move that is very. That will be very popular with the readers, the retailers. Yeah, exactly. It's it's literally saying like, "Hey, 
if you if you hand sell this stuff, you will make less money than if you're than if you're hand selling a, a you know a three ninety nine title. So be down with it. You know what I mean? So they've so in a way, DC is doing a lot of stuff where they're going to have to do uh, just a shit ton of um, reader outreach while continuing to uh, rebuild uh, some evaporated goodwill with the retailers. So in some ways, I think they've got. Kind of a lot of their work cut They're, out for them. Yeah, DC has a lot of stuff to do. DC has to simultaneously make the retailers feel like they are loved, while on the internet not be seen to be playing to the retailers because that is always going to get them killed, while also making comics that readers actually want to read. Right. Well, and I and I, I think, think that one yeah. of those can spell disaster. Yeah, right. Exactly. They have to do all three. Yeah, yeah. They really do have to do all three. So, you know, I'll be kind of curious. I I personally think that uh, I just think I just think they've got a uh, it's it's a long it's long a, road. They have a lot to do. Yeah. I, the plus side is they're not they're following the all new different Marvel model insofar as they're not doing all in one month, which is nice. It's been over a number of months, which is smart. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's super smart. The retailers are going to be happy about that. The retailers are going to be happy with their being because the reduction in the number of titles is better. Again, there's that idea of even with a biweekly book, you know, there's the idea you don't have to sell. It, it's still easier to hand sell one issue you know, one title as opposed to two titles, which is which is essentially what the biweekly titles are are working as. You know, yeah. It's. Uh, oh, uh, do you want me to go through the rest of the titles again, or do you want to just move on? I feel we should move on. We should we move on. Yeah, we just so I was just like, uh, oh, we brutalized I, okay. that. Yeah, I want I want to ask you if you read something this week that um, you know I was looking forward to, and I think you might have been as well, and I was uh, underwhelmed by. Uh, Paramount and Iron Fist number one. Oh yeah. Oh god. Okay. Great. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Because there's a uh, that is one of those issues that. Um, yes, I was underwhelmed by Paramount and Iron Fist. Uh, I I feel that it simultaneously gave the fans what they wanted and showed why that was a terrible idea. <laughs> Really, I I feel like that book was amazingly um, new reader unfriendly, and simultaneously old reader unfriendly. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I I I really feel that it tried to have its cake and eat it, and demonstrated why that's uh, very difficult, if not impossible, to do. I I as a fan of old Paramount and Iron Fist, yes. Um, I I really really didn't like it. And yeah. it felt like it called back so much to old Paramount and Iron Fist that it kind of feels like a bit of a fuck you to new readers. You know, um, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, for me, honestly, reading it, I think the to to step back a bit there. The to me, there's a much bigger problem, which is either that David Walker and Sanford Green are not quite on the same page. As far as their storytelling uh, goals, or they are 
they're they're not they're not a good they haven't gelled as a match. The number of pages in Power Man and Iron Fist where there were bad transitions, there were bad panel to panel transitions, there were bad choices being made. Like at one point you it, had it, it is it is Yeah. Sorry, I need to go. Uh, you had you had a, you had a panel which has been a long time since I've seen where the dialogue was completely screwed up, and so you had like Iron Fist saying Power Man's dialogue, and I'm like, well, but clearly you have to like. I had that moment of like, why did the artist put the that character on the left and that character on the right when the dialogue clearly indicates that you've got to have that character on the left in order to be able to have this dialogue flow. And so the tales end up following the characters. Do you know that, do you know the bit that I'm talking about where Iron, Power Man and Iron Fist are walking down the street, I think. And then suddenly you have, you know, it's, it's not a huge mistake because you, you literally have them talking about Luke Cage's wife and suddenly you have, you know, oh, Iron Fist saying, we're not talking about my relationship with my wife. We're talking about the fiddle-faddle favor you committed us to doing. Oh, you're you know? literally just calling out parts that made me, like, squirm in, in unhappiness. Um, yeah. I do know the bit you're talking about. Right. I think that Sanford Green is a wonderful stylist and actually kind of a lousy sequential artist. Yeah, his sequential stuff needs and I, some I, I work. I think that's, that was also true in Runaways mm-hmm. uh, during Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. I think he does great individual panels, mm-hmm. and I think his line work is great. Mm-hmm. But there's parts where he just does not sell the story, mm-hmm. uh, and and that really shows through here. But there's more problems than just that, if that makes sense. Oh, I, I agree. But let me just say that started as that was like my my first biggest problem started there. It actually blows up really large in that the story and I guess spoilers for people who are uh, haven't read the first issue yet uh, concerns uh, Power Man and Iron Fist former receptionist who went to prison for killing her ex-boyfriend crime buster uh, she gets out of prison they go greet her take her you know out to eat she talks about she needs a favor for them which they do and then later they find out we find out that they have been set up uh and, and it's it's like that's amazingly uh flagged like it's really really obvious from the way that that the dynamic is sold mm-hmm. what is going on like the 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 end of issue reveal is Amazingly underwhelming. Well, because mm-hmm. the I, I feel like uh, he tries too hard to do the "Hey, we're all family. We'd all be straight with each other." Hey, right. And then you have the when they're taking the the necklace back, you have a character I write say repeatedly, "You're being lied to," mm-hmm. and they go, "Hey, family. Hey." At which point, it's obvious that she's lying. Well, so there's like, a... It, it's right. blindingly obvious. And so having a last page of, she's lying. Right. Not only that, she's lying. And here's the return of a character that I bet none of you have ever seen before. Except Jeff and probably Graham. Uh, you, I, I, like, also, yeah. I hate the um, black... What's her name? Black Mariah and mm-hmm. white Jenny. I hate <laughs> the black so much. <laughs> I... 
Well, I so 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 there are problems. Like Sanford Green's sequential storytelling is off. I have to say that David Walker made some bad choices in the script, and one of them is, as you point out, they're selling that he has to sell this idea that they are family to try and make that that linchpin of that scene work, uh, where they find out that where basically one character is telling them they're being lied to and they don't believe him, and then when they realize they have been lied to it's too late kind of thing uh that whole that whole problem the idea of why do these characters believe this character is being waved away with a lot really heavy like because i say so because i say so in the early pages yeah. but frankly for myself i actually did have this thing of because Iron Fist more or less says in the pages, like, hey, sorry we didn't come and visit you in prison. We were kind of – we were busy kind of deal. Like, and then at the end when she's like, you know, fuck family. Those guys never came and visited me in fucking prison. I'm like, yeah, I side with her. Like, there, there was that weird <laughs> factor of – you know what I mean? Like, it, because well, it no, really was for that me, idea. That, that really came down to the same, like, this is happening because I say so. Yeah. Well, right. Like I, I just, I didn't, I didn't believe that. I, I really didn't like the way that Jessica Jones is portrayed in the comic. Uh, uh, yeah, because I feel that she really comes across as the nagging wife, and I, I like that was really weird. Well, it, it, it felt, yeah. it felt really odd. It also felt very out of line with the way we've previously seen these characters interact. Like, it felt like David Walker was very concerned with making sure that this lined up with Paramount and Iron Fist, the series. Yeah. And not things that have happened since. Well, uh, or more um, to the point, I think he cares about the old Paramount and Iron Fist, the series. And he he's aware that he has to line up with the characters. But he doesn't, you know, either he hadn't read all that stuff or in the research or however it works, I just kind of felt like, I mean, to me, there's a little bit of an idea of, I I thought that Iron Fist more or less worked okay in that it it's reminded me of the more modern fractionist take on Iron Fist that sort of lines up with him, with the original take, somewhat modernized. But I feel Luke Cage has changed a lot and trying to make that character the same like appeal across the spectrum to Bendis's incarnation of the character and the Joe Duffy incarnation of the character is is really hard and maybe not a yeah. good idea to do and um as much as I appreciated it I'm like yeah I don't I don't know if I don't know if it's working I don't know if it's working so um you know, I so I had a little bit of that. I, there's, I'm, there's I'm a lot of it. Yeah. It's not. Yes. Well, it's. I mean, it's a. It's a first issue, Graham. So you kill this sucker by issue two, is what you're saying, Mister Retailer, huh? I I am saying, as someone who you know how much I love, yes, the Joe Duffy Paramount Iron Fist. I'm not coming back for the second issue. Wow, not coming back these for are, the second these issue. Might, like, outside of the thing, these are my favorite Marvel characters. Oh, I know. I mean, it's actually kind of ironic that you and I aren't talking Power Man and Iron Fist 24-7, considering we are on the same page with that, as far as these are these are, these are are beloved characters for both of us. So, yeah. I mean... I, I, but, like, this book, it didn't feel like any of them. 
not only, like, this doesn't feel like my Power Man, this didn't feel like any Power Man. Like, and also, the same for Iron Fist. It felt like it was trying to split the difference between Joe Duffy and Matt Fractions. But it, it didn't feel like either. See, and I think that's, I think there is a lot of that. I think he, they, he tried to split the difference on both of them, and it's, and it's, and it's tough. Yeah, I, I, between splitting between the Bendis fraction incarnation of the characters and the early Joe De- Duffy era, I feel like, yeah, you get something that is, is neither fish nor fowl. And like I said, these guys both seem to, I don't know enough about Green's career, but I know that although Walker's done a lot of comics work, in the last year to two years, I still think that he's learning the craft, I guess, uh, it feels like, based on this issue. I, I, I feel like this is a less successful comic than, like, his, his shaft work. Um, yes. And I, I suspect that part of it is I think he might be more of a fan of Per. Man and Iron Shaft. That could be. And I think that, I th- think that might be interfering with with his work well or or yeah if nothing else i think part of the part of the thing that makes it easy is his shaft has had relatively few incarnations you know like you've got the you've got the movie character you've got the character from the novels and you know if you're really willing to go outside the box you've got the character from the shortish lived tv show you know uh and and i just I think it's a lot easier. I, I think that, that Walker, like you said, is a big fan of – I think he's a big fan of Power Man and Iron Fist. I, I think he's a fan of Shaft. I just think that Shaft is – It's you don't have to try and make characters appeal to what you liked you know, 30 or 40 years ago uh, with characters that have been relatively – I don't know what the right word is. They've been solid B characters in the Marvel Universe for the last, what, five to ten years? As long as you've had, you know, Bendis, Fraction, Brubaker. Like, these characters have been are around, and they have an established thing. So I, I, th- I just think, A, it was really hard to do. B, it's just, I mean, honestly, they could have, there was a variety of other tricks they could have done, like had flashbacks where it's literally like, you know, a Cary Gamble panel and you get a sense of kind of, you know what I mean? Like you could play with some of that cognizance, but I think, I think Walker made some choices that didn't serve him well, didn't serve the book well here. And again, I think that green stuff is... It's highly uh, um, lookable. It's really easy to to look at, but is but it is very. I think there were some really prominent sequential storytelling mistakes. But again, I also feel like there's things where um, you know how like you read articles with uh, interviews with comic writers, and they always talk about like one of the hardest and most important things is getting a sense of who the art, your artist is and how to write for your artist. Um, there's a few things like, you know, they're in the Excelsior cafe, which is sort of a cute gag. Uh, and at one point they're talking and there's like kind of a flashback panel that appears like over their head. Uh, and it's not even real the way that it's framed. I'm like, is that a full page mural? Is that like an action mural on the (laughs) behind the booth behind them? Like, I know it wasn't, but you know, so, so yeah, it's I just think just it's ironically a comic that might come together in a few months. 
Right. But given the current market, we'll not get the chance. Yeah. <laughs> and given the current Graham McMillan-ness, it's not going hey, to get the I chance. Also, I also jumped off Vision after an issue, remember? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm very unforgiving. The other thing is this. I I bought Paramount and Iron Fist digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time as I ended up buying a bunch of old stuff that I needed for work. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought five books, old books for work. Mm-hmm. And they were less than twice the price of the one Marvel book. And I felt that. And mm-hmm. I think that, honestly, that probably factored into my vision thing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but I'm I was sure. really conscious of like, I'm paying $4. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not loving it. Right. And because of Marvel Unlimited, if I just wait six months, I get right. it for free. Sure. But, I mean, just to make sure that we're not totally convincing people to shut down Marvel Unlimited, as you also say, you're like, I'll just get it when it's a trade from the library because, of course, it's going to be collected. You know? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Yes. Don't shut down Marvel Unlimited ever. Actually, uh, I, I told you that I've stopped reading Star Wars or Marvel Unlimited and I'm now just reading it in trade because oh. for some reason – it's a very different experience for me. Huh. That's interesting. Star I... Wars specifically. Star Wars and, and Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I cannot – I could not tell you why. Hmm. In, in more – in ways that is not true of other books, I enjoy them much more in print and in trade than I do reading them for free digitally. Even Even if you're reading a batch of issues digitally? I mean, is mm-hmm. it is it interesting? Interesting. Wow, that is fascinating. I'll tell you why. Hmm. There's there's something about the experience of reading it as a physical book and as a book that is significantly more enjoyable to me than reading Unlimited, which essentially is reading a free comic. Well, I have to say, I jumped. I jumped from picking up because I think the latest issue of Star Wars came out this week. And I was like, ah, I gotta. I, I'm so far behind. I'm like, I'm just switching to Marvel Unlimited, and I'll, I'll catch up. So that was actually a book that I was picking up on the stands as it came out, and now I'm just, I'm waiting for Marvel Unlimited. I would be fascinated if it then turned out that I also have the feeling for wanting it in a book. But that's interesting. I just don't, as a guy who buys a lot of floppies, for you know, for essentially for fiscal reasons you know i keep telling myself like oh i would be so happy <laughs> for fiscal reasons i love even though i know what you're talking about which fans is that jeff knows a guy who knows a guy and so jeff gets his comics for cheaper if he buys them physically yeah that still sounded dodgy as hell i have to appreciate <laughs> i really like appreciate how much. much you cleared that up by saying jeff knows a guy who knows a guy Thank you for making that sound less dodgy. I worked at a comic book store, okay? I still get a discount. There's nothing dodgy about that. That's not knowing a guy who's knowing a guy, Graham, which I don't know. Apparently you don't know is shorthand for I'm stealing them. (laughs) Unbelievable. Thanks for clearing that up. Graham McMillan is the rep besmircher. Like, get you in on that PR. Like, oh, yeah. People, 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 people. He's not having an affair. He's just, he's a slap and tickle man. You know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> listen, let me talk about Sex Criminals number 14. Did you read it? Are you behind no, on the Sex Crim? Did you jump I, off the I Sex have, Crim? I have, I have jumped off. Uh-huh. Uh, and I might jump back on. But uh, I've jumped off kind of because, honestly, because of the delays. 
Mm-hmm. I oh, I get that. Because it was coming out. I mean, Lattice came out in what October? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I it was like it felt like homework. So like, oh, I've got to read the last issue to remember where we are. Right. Uh, and and so I was just like, eh. <laughs> or I could just not read it because my enjoyment of the comic is not worth it. Like I can do other things with my time. Right. Well, I I do get that. I'm fascinated because I feel like for myself, uh, Sex Criminals is one of those books. Weirdly, that I do not read uh, across. Um, that I don't need to reread, uh, even though that there's months that I pass, because I'm kind of like, because uh, nothing's really happening. Like, the last two or three issues in particular feel like um, the second act set up for the third act. Like, and But I'm fascinated because I have to say that, that this issue, issue 14, is a... Um, well, so you're you're super you're super behind on sex criminals, and honestly, rather than just, it's supposed to be clearly it's supposed to be a confrontation issue between two characters that oh, are. Oh, I've I've actually seen this online, and they 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 chicken out of, of what's well, don't chicken out. They have a scene where Fraction and Zdarsky talk about the fact that they can't do it. Yes, right. AKA they chicken out and I'm fascinated by it because on the one hand I was like, Oh, in a trade, this will probably be fun or ignorable, I suppose. But I was fascinated by how much I was as someone picking it up. And this isn't even really a comic that I'm vested in, but uh, and longtime listeners know that uh, we 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 have to be somewhat trepidatious when talking about Matt Fraction uh, because in in the past we've been far too we, free we, with our opinions, yeah, far we, yeah. too free and loose. Needless to say, despite the fact that I thought that Chip Zdarsky is a fucking really just a phenomenal cartoonist in the sense of his ability to draw him and Fraction in conversation and those characters are very like the instant they pop up i'm like oh yeah i i know instantly from the panel who this is uh and and yet they have the complete mobility for some reason i want to say motility i don't even know if that's the right word or a word um to to they they are they're not just like horrible uncanny valley you know portraits they're actual genuine cartoony caricatures that have life and breath in them and so watching them do their thing is actually uh like technically fun but i cannot believe it's it's i'm fascinated by how much once again we see one of these situations where some of our our Mm, more technical based suspicions about about fraction that he can choke in the clutch especially if he feels that he is um being watched slash overthinking it slash thinking that he's overthinking it when really it's he's being watched kind of concept um he really chickens out of this uh, this confrontation scene and they talk through about how how and why they can't do it and it's 
it's really bad. And it's also fascinating to me because at one point they basically do a call out. Like they're kind of like, oh, but it's just going to come off as seeing masturbatory. And Chip Zdarsky's like, oh, Matt, it's us. And it's he says that and they've got like the panel, they've got a full page panel that has a shout out to their photo alternative cover and some other stuff. And I, I was kind of like, this may kill the trade. Like I had that weird feeling of like, oh no, you're talking. And there's so many jokes that are like Chip Zdarsky's like, oh, I just got the Jughead money. Oh, I've got the Howard the Duck money. Like he's sort of sitting there like in a mink coat, you know, or whatever. Uh, and I was just like, this is not serving your story. Like technically, you know, since it's Fraction and Zdarsky, it's funny enough from like a panel-to-panel or page-to-page kind of way, but in terms of someone who is reading this story, and they're going to have to do some really interesting positioning with the trades in order to not make this seem like to what to me was like a really impressive shitting of the pants and or bed. Why, why the trades specifically? Well, because I think, because for me, I have that feeling of like, in an individual issue where you've got a confrontation going and then there's a, a swerve um, to this kind of thing, I personally am kind of like, I, I'm, pay, I'm paying money from the initial investment of, you know, seeing the story unfold and basically you've built to this point and now you're not going to unfold. I feel sort of cheated in somebody who spent 350 for a discrete unit that does not actively hold up as a discrete unit and in fact kind of retroactively fucks up the previous money that I'd spent almost when you're in a trade and it's just an, uh, you know, you're either reading it from the library or the, the, the level of investment is different. Um, one chapter in a book that feels say wildly, a wildly digressive book. You're like, Oh, it's just another digression. It's just another thing that feels surprising and witty and clever. Um, you know, and and also, how do I put it, uh, well-intentioned, which I feel is this weird, one of the things that Sex Criminals seems to have going for it in particular is, is that there is an extraordinary amount of goodwill among the readers in part because it is a um, comic book that is about validating a wider spectrum of sexuality than you normally see being captured in mainstream media. If you, if you follow me, um, so I feel that, that, so because that seems to be the focus for, uh, a, a certain looks like based on the letters page, potentially sizable chunk of the audience. Um, you, they might be, I, I think in other contexts, you might be, how do I put it? If you have a section in a book where uh, characters pop up, uh, where the authors pop up as characters and derail the action and or talk about why the action can't be um, uh, detailed. Like, for example, in a Lemony Snicket book, you can get that because Lemony Snicket, I mean, 
arguably because he's built in there as the narrator and he's a digressive and intrusive narrator previously, it can work. I feel like you can even get that to work in as it would in sex criminals. But if you had like, for example, Lemony Snicket go in and explain that he can't talk about what happens next and the reason why is an in-joke that you would only get if you knew about uh, Daniel Handler's real estate problems, which people don't Google that. As far as I know, that's not actually a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like you almost moved us into legally actionable. Terror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I just feel like there's that thing where the, the payoff for that whole sequence, you know, is by and large a an in-joke about a sex criminal's uh, cover variant, you know, a reprint yeah, cover well, variant. It is and it isn't, because that joke has been worked to death, including in the trades, I believe, um, which in itself is the joke. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, I, I feel like it's one of these things where the, the wider context, which mm -hmm. is where the, the cover started... Right. Then became part of the text. If, I feel it's, that, if I feel, it's in the I text like of the trades, then yeah, absolutely. I, I think, then I think it is. Okay. I think it is. All right. Then I, I, again, I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. It might not be. No, no, no. Um, I'm not following them at all. But I certainly had this weird feeling of. That, mm -hmm. um, sex criminals is as, uh, as, a, as a storytelling unit. Mm -hmm. has almost since its inception been purposefully and at times really irritatingly metatextual. And again, I've not read this issue. But I feel that what you're describing is something that is very within keeping up for that. I, I feel that they're not necessarily going outside of the the boundaries that they've created for themselves and more importantly, the boundaries for which they are loved. I think this, while it seems like an amazing cop-out for me, and again, I've not read the issue, maybe the scene is amazing, maybe the, the like Fraction and, and Zdarsky thing, in addition to having this call-out to the covers, like is something that puts the scene that they're skipping in, in a, uh, a context in which you understand it as a narrative moment that is being skipped but i i think that what they're doing is something that the the fan base that has been built around this title will not only uh allow but will love them for it it could be i that is probably very much the case but i i feel that uh, and again, maybe not <coughs> following the trades at at all, and should have. I had I had the idea of like, okay, this is going to work for a certain segment of the people within the individual issues. Not me. I felt that this was actually a a a. Oh, I think Jeff has just dropped the book. I can't tell because I haven't gotten to the last page and I haven't decided. But I'm pretty sure this has happened, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you dropped the book because I hope by now you have gotten to the last page. I have gotten to the last page. I still haven't decided because part of me is like, um, 
I don't know how to describe it. It, it is a little – it has become a book uh, – it, it was never necessarily a book that I feel that I was potentially uh, personally invested in. Like for me, Sex Criminals was a – oh, Fraction is funny. Zdarsky is funny. The two of them together are funny. There are bits and pieces that – like is it's it's almost them riffing on sex – within a framework of a story or rather their feelings, people's feelings about sexuality kind of deal. Yeah. I, but what, what is yeah. frustrating for me is I can't remember if it was issue seven or eight, but there's mm -hmm. definitely an issue where they talked about depression. That was amazing. Yeah. Right. That was genuinely like, cause I remember before that being like, it's a cute book. Mm -hmm. It has some nice gags. And then I got to that issue and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This, this is, this is leveled up. This is really, really good stuff. And then you stopped buying it shortly after. But that because it uh, because I feel like they would rather go for the cheap joke. I right. feel like they'd rather go for the let's reference the cover joke that we have honestly worked into the ground and then some. Well, so yeah, I I think I think that you sort of uh, you sort of run the how do you put it? There there is a um, there's a thing that you I feel like you with with. Particularly with Fraction, you almost can't have one without the other. That the stuff about depression is him writing about this stuff from an incredibly uh, knowledgeable and open place that's tremendously moving. Uh, and he can't get there without sort of peeking out around the corner of the, the borders of the page. And... Well Okay. I, but I feel that, yeah, for me, this was definitely the issue where I was like, ah, they, it, it's, it's that moment um, that I can only relate to the point where the reoccurring Saturday Night Live character becomes a complete fucking drag, you know? <laughs> I, I do exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, what is what is interesting to me is I feel almost the inverse. Mm -hmm. I feel that fraction. I feel fraction can only do the the uh, the work like the depression or or I feel like he can only get deep if he thinks no one's looking, mm -hmm. and I think if he thinks people are paying attention, he mm -hmm. devolves to shtick. And mm -hmm. I, I might be massively projecting mm -hmm. because that is definitely something that I feel. Um, I, it, I, I would, I would argue that that is true within a text because I feel like I've seen some stuff from him, some of his writing. Because I want to say like he had some writing on depression that was either on his Tumblr as well. Or maybe in the back pages of Casanova, that was was pretty strong, and it was him writing about him. I mean, again, it's that weird thing of like one month it's him talking about depression, and it's um, his willingness to do that really means that you get some some genuine insight that has some heft, and then the next month he's talking about talking interviewing his all star celebrity AA sponsor. And you're just like, well, Jesus fucking Christ. You know what I mean? Like, I, th I think it's, I think they may not be able to extricate them. I think, however, I do think what you've said is entirely true within the course of 
his comics work. Inside the text, within the text, I think Fraction chokes unless he can either get to the end closely enough or I think he tries to take narrative strategies to take that anxiety, channel and or diffuse it that I don't think always work. For me, they don't seem to work very often, but I don't follow enough of his stuff closely enough. But, you know, even the stuff, even things relatively like, I don't know, like his Iron Man run seem to get progressively less interesting to me and more um, defensive slash self-conscious, I suppose, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that at some point, uh, and probably while he was working at Marvel, Fraction realized that he didn't want to be a star. Mm-hmm. And it happens at the unfortunate moment where he became a star. Right. Uh, and I think his work since then has been a series of, I'll do this because it's not going to be popular, but it's what I want to do. Oh shit, this is popular too. And then he chokes. Um, and I, I don't know what the... I don't know what the answer is because initially I was hoping that what it was was he was following his bliss and therefore if it was successful it wouldn't matter because he would be doing what he wants. But there there might be an element of, and again, I, this is very likely me projecting, that even when you're doing something that you love, if you're uncomfortable with attention, if people notice you doing something that you love, it, find, it becomes difficult to love it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. And it is, I think that is this for, for people who, uh, you know, wish to deep dive into our archives. This is actually a much milder, more professional set of conclusions. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, the, I, nonetheless, mirror to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's the same, same conclusion. We're, exactly. We're just not de- delving as deeply into. Let's speculate about Matt Fraction's personal life. Yeah, we actually. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We we actually have managed to do it in a way that is far less uh, accidental, mean girl slumber party party uh, than than we apparently did the first time. So I'm proud of us. Uh, can, <laughs> did you read Batman Forty Nine, Graham? You must have read Batman. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the the Yannick Paquette issue. Right? Yeah, holy shit, wacky shit, amazing, uh, amazing. The death of Bruce Wayne's mind issue. It's great because I really do have this thing of like, wow, he's doing again just this weird way. Whereas Scott Snyder is, I'm like, god damn it, it really, it is. It's one part Grant Morrison riff, like heavy on the Grant Morrison riffs, as we've seen, really ridiculously heavy on, like, I got a strong for the man who has everything uh, vibe off of it. You know, that Superman angle? It was almost an explicit shout out. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, that's the thing that I think is fascinating about Snyder is is that he, um, like, with this issue, I'm like, wow, Snyder is at this point so willing to own his references that he's really able to do some pretty awesome stuff with it. Cause I, I really like the issue and I, even something just as bold as the, and I, I, 
you know, whether it was Paquette or I, I feel it must have been Snyder's in the script, but that idea of the circular panel motif while talking about a character, uh, a, a character's rebirth and it's their, their eternal circle while setting all these story panels in circular stuff for, you know, the, the meta er text slash sub story of it was really kind of fucking great. Like I really have to give, give it up for Snyder. I thought that that was again, like as for people who remember from, I think it was the previous episode or the episode before that, where Graham described it as weird as shit. I, you really, I really <laughs> embrace how much Snyder. So, Super heavy has turned out to be, especially because it's his last arc on the, on the title. Yeah. It has turned out to be, he's going out on not only a high note, but really, a wacky as hell note. Yeah, I mean, it, it it is a wacky as hell note, and it makes it a high note. Like, I'm kind of like, I am way more, because how do I put it? Like, a, his earlier stuff was so nailed to me, kind of like, oh, Capullo's great. There's some interesting stuff in it that I, I never quite felt was necessarily gelling. Like that final Joker story, I'm like, oh, okay, there's a lot of really fun metatextual, subtextual stuff here that's playing with the text. And he really seems to have upped that ante significantly here um, in a way that I'm just like, God damn it, I want to read more of what this... Like, I, I'm just like... Scott Snyder can't leave. He's just getting weird. He's just getting weird <laughs> enough to where I would read him in a, on a Batman comp title, even if Greg Capullo isn't drawing him. Like, because when well, I pick this up, like, isn't that exactly what you're getting after this? Well, uh, we will see. We'll see. I mean, that's the thing that I think is really odd is, is that he's going to leave. He's going to do his death of Batman you know, Batman Reborn, and then he's going to go over to Detective Comics and do his Batman Incorporated. Well, you know, well, if I he mean, is, because he, he has walked back the Detective thing a lot on Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, like, I, yeah. a lot. Yeah. I, I would be kind of curious. After this, part of me is like, I kind of wonder if he's going to be going on to Justice League. Because um, I, I think... Oh, I kind of hope not. It would make sense from... DC from the sales, yeah, from the DC yeah. sales angle, yeah. But I kind of hope not. Really? Why? I don't think I want to see him right to Justice League. Really? Let's, yeah. let's explore this. Let's massage this. Why? why? <laughs> what? Tell me about your mother. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, Graham, he's finally weird as shit enough to where I'm like, I want to see, I would love to see him do a Justice League title. Because fuck only knows what this guy would do with goddamn Starro at this point, you know? Well, you know what it is? His Superman title was terrible. Yeah, but that's, I mean. Superman Unchained yes. was just not a good comic. Yeah. Even, like he he tried his hardest, God bless him. Right, but it it it's, it significantly hurts my my faith in him being able to do a Superman book. So, uh, and, and I assume from the from the very unequivocal way you say that, you're just not like jumping to the conclusion that Jim Lee is one of the all-time great Superman killers of all time, right? Like, Because <laughs> if you think about Jim Lee, he's two for two in 
horrible, shitty fucking Superman stories, right? I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. He's he's a, he's the greatest artist in comics. <laughs> um, uh, don't get me wrong, his art is is nothing to write home about unless you're writing. Please help send a good artist. <laughs> but it's it, the problems with that book is is not Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's it has all the Jim Lee-ness that you'd expect from Jim Lee, sure. Mm-hmm. But it's the writing is like the story goes nowhere and feels very. Uh, one of my consistent problems with uh, Snyder's Batman is that I feel that he has spent a lot of it, really up until this arc, trying to make a statement about Batman. And Superman Unchained is filled with him trying to make a statement about Superman. And I can only imagine that if he got Justice League, instead of going, Starro, he would try and make a statement about every single fucking character in the Justice League and the Justice League. And then, because he'd be feeling ambitious, superheroes as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the patience for that comic. <laughs> well, A... It's it, that, of course, is in my sweet spot as Mister, like you know, amateur formalist. I'm like, oh yeah, that would work for me. Except the thing is, is I feel like, you know, I, I feel like Snyder's only started really being able to get interesting in the way that he talks about this stuff. So part of me is like, I think that honestly, if he took on Justice League. It would be Scott Snyder talking about working in comics in a way that I think would be really interesting. In a way that I think would be potentially like really positive, but also shot through with, again, a particularly interesting, with a viewpoint. Let's put it that way. My biggest worry about Justice League is, is that there's only so many viewpoints that you can get into Justice League, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I I worry about where that book is going to be or, or what it's going to do. As as you and Matt Turrell have pointed out on the website, you've both mostly been enjoying Brian Hitch's Justice League while acknowledging that it seems to be a, a very extended rehash of Grant Morrison's first storyline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much. So, you know, I again, part of me is like, mm, I don't know. In any event, we'll see. That was just me. But I very well, much enjoyed it. Part of the problem is also, mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to do a good Justice League story. I think it is too. Uh, now, I, I love in these days. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I back Justice when it was League just a bunch of dudes, it was a lot easier. But I feel with today's the higher stakes of comics and also the dramatic arc of comics and also the blah, blah, blah. I think it's, I think it's very goddamn I, I, hard. I, I'm willing to put forward theory, but not willing to argue it. But <laughs> Grant Morrison might have fucked up Justice League. Wow, that's a great argument. See, this uh, is everyone. Cause, listeners cause are really, like, oh, thank God we got through all the number talk to get to this because it's just... <laughs> We did do a lot of number talks. Yeah, we really uh, did. I just might actually like not excited. just mix that at two times speed, but actually play it for everyone at two times speed. So suddenly <laughs> we're just cartoon squirrels talking for like um, thirty minutes instead no, of like Morrison, an hour seven. Morrison's Justice League was, to my mind, the first comic which, which, as you said, went beyond the "it's a bunch of guys" to 
This is the mythical super team. This is the super team. Team Super. This is them. Yes. And I think ever since then, everyone has had that in their brain when they write Justice League. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think that I think that's a problem. Well, to be to be fair, bless his heart, because I see that's actually a good point. One of the things that works with Morrison is he says that, but unlike most comic writers, he actually just sort of says that in if you're lucky, uh, maybe two panels every issue. You know what I mean? Like, or at the end of something, like the yeah, we'll catch. We're here to catch them when they fall or whatever. But but the rest of it is just. You know Grant Morrison, the fit, you know the guy who finally gets to write his his the the comic book stories he came up with for the league when he was fifteen, and he's oh, like, sure. yeah, yeah, you know, and so that's the one of the things that I thought was great about his stuff is, um, you know, it's sort of a weird comparison contrast actually with what I would say Warren Ellis was trying to do with the authority in the sense of he kept tr- he started with super high stakes and more or less kept trying to up them as much as possible um so that by the time when you get to the end it's just it's it's super wide widescreen which was incredibly fun so that's it for me is well, as I but, feel but, that See, mm-hmm. I I really like the Morrison run. I, the Morrison run might be my favorite Justice. Oh, League. I know exactly. That's um, why I think it was great that you put that forward. He's Morrison's idea of what superheroes should do mm-hmm. is distinctly different from almost everyone else at DC's idea of what superheroes should do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Morrison can't. Morrison sees absolutely no contradiction between these are the best superheroes, these are the biggest superheroes, these are their big names, and they're fighting a giant starfish who wants to put everyone to sleep. Whereas Jeff Johns believes in the the first part of that sentence as much as Morrison, but cannot, but sees the second part of that sentence as that thing you allude to at the start of your issue before they start having interpersonal drama. See, and this is what I was going to say, is I actually feel that like your argument about Morrison, I would say there's more of a case to be said about Johns because I feel like Johns is the guy who much more grabbed the, these guys are iconic in a way that, whereas Morrison was kind of like, oh, I'm going to throw that in there here and there. It's, you know, like, oh, these guys feel like, you know, here here's uh, Wally West and Kyle Rayner and Kyle Rayner says that he feels like he's playing with the Beatles, you know, to like Jeff Johns is like, Four pages of like these are so mighty, and oh, I think I just wept watching them walk down a hallway. And then the next page is because it, there's the interpersonal drama. It's like, but which member of the Justice League has betrayed all the other members? Which, on the one hand, I totally love as a. It's the closest I feel to to quote unquote like classic comics, you know. It, but but there is also that thing of. I think that's part of why team books have become harder because the sort of screenwriter ethos that, that John's I feel helped spearhead into uh, DC anyway. And I feel that maybe it came in via half-assed way with Bendis uh, is that idea of like, Oh, but the drama has to be personal, you know? Exactly. It's personal stakes, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. So the personal stakes of a team book, when you have seven different characters, you're like, what's personal about it? Well, what can be personal for all seven people other than one of them is betraying them? You know, so it's just, 
I don't I don't know that they have a lot of cards to play in that, you know? Uh so I think that's that's hard. I'm, for myself, I'm kind of like Morrison sort of started him a little bit down the down the down that route, but I can't. And I, and I'm of course I know I like you're not both arguing of us are this. Completely skipping the um, and then Brad Meltzer really just screwed the pooch. Well, but see, I I kind of feel that Brad Meltzer is just um uh. I, I, I want to say Jeff Johns with the good taste removed, but Jeff Johns' appeal is he doesn't have good taste. So I don't know, I don't know quite what I'm shooting for there. It's like Jeff Johns, but without that weird element that Jeff Johns understands, which is, which is whatever the fuck that is. Cause Brad Meltzer and Jeff Johns to me are, are very similar. They're very close. They're two sides of the same coin. Or I like to think of it as a spectrum. Of Morrison on one side and Meltzer on the other, and Jeff Johns is right in between. Because Johns understands some of the goofiness. See, that's it. I think Morrison gets, yeah. and I don't think Meltzer does. I, I think, think Meltzer's like that's really cute, but do yeah. you remember when Terra and Deathstroke? See, this is up? it. This is it. That's what it is. The essential sort of humorlessness of Wolfman and Perez's Teen Titans is something that Meltzer took such a big imprint on that you know those things where like all that sort of Wolfman-esque bathos where people are like there's the one Perez tear coming out of someone's eye and they're, but their teeth are gritted and they're like, oh God, Dick, I'm so sorry, I never knew kind of thing. That's that thing that Meltzer is like going for and Johns is like, oh, sure, I'll have them say that, but one of them is actually, you know, being turned into a gorilla while the other one's saying it. So, so it works. Uh, so, yeah, I think there is – Johns is very aware of Goofy and Camp um, and and does his best, at his best, tries to get there in a completely straight-faced way that does, can make for some awesome comics. You know, and I think he also – it helps that, you know, I mean, if, if – Jeff Johns has written a lot of comics. Brad Meltzer managed to write, you know, 12. They were just a devastating 12 for comics. And I say that. I, I want to say I'm counting, I'm discounting his Green Arrow stuff. But if you look at Identity Crisis and his Justice League run, it's 11 issues maybe, I no, guess. No, he did, he did a bunch of Justice League. Didn't he do at least a full, full year of Justice League? Nah, well, maybe. Maybe it was 12 issues. Maybe it was 12 issues of Justice League. I don't know. I feel like it totally made it to issue... Isn't issue 11 the, like, oh, no, we're buried, and then... <laughs> I was thinking about that issue as well. That is, like, the worst. It, that might be issue 11, and it is genuinely terrible. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just love the fact that I managed to almost do it in a Super Friends voice and thinking, like, how great would that be? You know, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, they're buried in a building. <laughs> oh, that is, is this issue 11? Good job. Yeah. Burn yeah. alive. <laughs> okay, so he wrote that, and that's issue 11. Did right. he write issue 12? It's practically a fill-in issue because he had all the other stuff where he's like, oh, the Legion, here comes the Legion. I set up all this stuff in the first issue, six issues issue and then the Legion. Did he write issue 12? Holy yeah, shit. Uh, yeah, that's right. He's replaced after issue 12. He's, wow. he's, he, does, he does a year and then he's gone. Wow. Okay. I thought he did a year and then after 11. What happens in issue 12? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this. Thanks to uh, the Wikipedia page for issue 12, which is called Monitor Duty. It does tell me that um, Terra and Deathstroke both show up. 
No way. Oh, <laughs> Brad Meltzer. Oh, no. That is yeah. so great. It's, it's like he it, got to issue 10, and they're would... like, you got two issues left. What are you going to do? He's like, I've always wanted to do a story about two people buried in a building. They're like, uh-huh. What's the other one? It's Terra and Deathstroke. And maybe they have sex in the satellite. I'm not saying they do, but I'm not saying they don't either. Okay. Can we just, I mean, that still creeps me out now. I still can't believe that at no point anyone in DC offices were like, isn't she like 14? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, i that's my worry about comics is they were kind of like, could you make her a little more 14-esque? I, looking at those issues, the thing that actually bothers me is, uh, I don't know, I, I just always have that weird issue of, like, when they start, tar- you know, quote-unquote, tarting her up, and she's, like, smoking cigarettes and being like, ah, they're all a bunch of saps, I, uh, you I, know? I love that. I genuinely love, like, they're like, how can we show she's evil? She'll smoke in lingerie. She'll smoke a cigarette, wear lipstick, and wear lingerie, and yet still have that crazy Captain Carrot overbite. And it's just, I don't know, I'm just always, like... That I just I God God bless those people who are hardwired to like Brad Meltzer, where it's like, oh yeah, this turns my crank because I'm just like, mm, that is the anti crank. I can feel the crank being moved backwards. I am I am actually I I am now less sexually awake than I was before I read this page. So <laughs> gentle gentle sexual sleep. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, man. So uh, I should mention Radioactive Spider-Gwen very briefly because uh, it's fascinating that uh, – I, I feel that we have talked about this book like on the last couple of weeks. We have. And the reason is, is why – It's a regular update, Jeff. What's it, happening Radioactive Spider-Gwen now? The big thing on Radioactive Spider-Gwen, and I've not uh, – I'll be honest. I've not read the full issue, but the thing that was shocking to me is the artist is Chris Visions. Um Robbie Rodriguez is not on this issue, and I don't know if that's a temporary thing. It probably is because it looks like he's doing the cover for issue six, but no, maybe not. Um, But I was – I have to say, only four or five pages into it before it was like, oh, we got a podcast. And uh, the art by uh, Visions is very um, (coughs) – very – it's – rough hewn i guess you know it's a very it's similar to rodriguez but different but i have to say as far as i can tell the the visual storytelling is already better like i'm having one of those weird moments where and again it opens up with one of those things of like oh here we are where we're going to double down on um scenes of people in the spider gwen universe not being gwen talking about Gwen and and or Frank Castle and it's like ugh. but but the scenes even though it's just two people sitting at a table talking and with the various blah blah blahs I'm like oh this guy's a lot uh more he's got a lot more facility with mm-hmm. what the script requires and it so I kind of had that weird moment of like oh I would be really weirded out if Robbie Rodriguez was off the book. And yet at the same time, I'm like, I think this issue might work better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Visions did did that dead letter office or dead letters. What was it called? The the boom book. Um, 
Dead Letters is what it was called, apparently. Mm. Uh, and his his art there was lovely. Yeah, and and here, uh, particularly, I should mention as long as I mention it, his 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 visual storytelling, I think, just really kind of bumps along. It's very it's very busy and almost almost Pope esque, I guess, but but not. Um, but Rico Renzi uh, as doing the color art also really allows um, the book to have a lot of uh, fluidity and of, and a texture um, that, that keeps the sort of, cause, cause I feel like uh vision has a very, um, he's got like a heavy line and there's not necessarily a lot of variation in the weight on that. And sometimes color can be so good from keeping that just as when you get too thin a line, uh, you know, can can keep that from feeling samey, you know. So, um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's interesting. I made my way all the way through it, but I was like, I got to tell you. And but we're so significantly out of time that I don't know. I don't know when we're going to talk about the rest of these books. I guess I'm just glad that I wanted to. Uh, you know, I really wanted to talk about Batman Forty Nine, Demon, Sex Criminals. Uh, and just that last little bit about Spider Gwen for people who have been paying attention to my ongoing Spider Gwen hand wringing obsession. <laughs> There'll be more of that in a couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen. That is true. That Actually, is true. there may not be. There might not be, not be another issue by the time we do another way. What we are we are off next week. Am I correct? That is that is my understanding. Is we are we are we have hit that that skip week. Uh, people, so you have a chance to catch your breath, let your ears recuperate, you know, staunch the bleeding, and and uh, uh, and prepare itself for the next round of heavy duty comic book gabity gab. I don't know why I've started talking like this, Jeff. These are the super friends. I don't know. That's my. Oh my god! Uh, why did you not tell me you could do this voice before we started the Baxter Building? That would be the greatest intro. <laughs> That's right, Ben Grimm. Fantastic Four. Fantastic Storm. <laughs> You're right. That would be better. Yeah, we'll have to do that if you can come up. If you come up with a lounge mix uh, remix of the uh, of the theme song, I'll I'll totally try. I'll totally try and break out Mr. Smarm for that. But uh God bless you thinking that I have the facility with garage band that <laughs> I I don't. But there you go. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um this is where, listeners, I thank you for listening to us for two and a quarter hours. Mm-hmm. We'll see if Jeff really does shrink down that number thing to make that slightly less, because we did talk about that for a long time. Um, yeah. Wow, well, we we were excited. We were young. We were restless. <laughs> exactly. We were bold. We were beautiful. <laughs> we were brave and bold and beautiful. Ah, see, there you go. See, you moved from the God. What, like, what's another superhero? We we were fast. We were furious. We weren't actually fast or furious, but uh, I was a little bit pissed. <laughs> were you? <laughs> you probably were. Some come to think of it, I think I was too. All right. Anyway, so yes, this, Graham, this closing and irritated. <laughs> That was was actually a very... Today has been nuts, and I feel like it's all just falling apart now. Listeners, thank you very much for listening. Um, This is where I tell you that you can get written evidence of our insanity at waitwhatpodcast.com. 
that you can check out our Tumblr at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com, where I did something about uh, Infinity Gauntlet got Jeff so irritated that apparently he's going to do a response on oh, the website. Yeah. A I really can't wait. response. Oh, my can't God. Can't yeah. wait. I actually <laughs> thought this podcast was going to be me just yelling at you, just yelling at you. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, right. Uh, I, I'm I'm so looking forward to it. We are on Twitter. Twitter. At yeah. what podcast. Mm-hmm. Jeff is on Twitter at LazyBassett, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M on Twitter. Uh, Matt Terrell, who writes for the website, is at Matt underscore Terrell, at M-A-T-T underscore T-E-R-L. He is the one who, let's face it, keeps the wheels rolling oh, yeah. on, on the website. We're a Patreon-supported podcast, which Jeff likes to talk about by saying things like this. Our special thanks go out to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support of this podcast, as well as our special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for uh, her support, and also to all 117 of our supporters on Patreon. Yeah, we picked up a few new people. Very chuffed about that. Thank you so much. Uh, They literally make this possible. Uh, The Baxter Building Podcast, which just ran last week and was quite a pip, uh, is a direct result of the support of people on that cast who make it possible for us to uh, work our butts off and... um, and deliver and deliver the goods to you. Also, I should say, this is not something that I say at the end of every podcast, but I do want to thank everyone who was gracious enough to congratulate me at Graham's uh, generous but semi-vague suggestion. Very, very kind. I was, I was quite touched. Uh, we are moving into that new phase of Jeff being um, uh, overcommitted and undercaffeinated. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see how that affects things. So far, it's, it's, uh, people who have been very patient about me being behind on my writing at the website. Thank you. I hope to come back strong on that. But the, the primary goal is making sure that our, our primo, uh, gabbity gap continues to come at you unaffected and, uh, at twice as obnoxious as ever. So thank you. Oh, brave new world. <laughs> Um, I think that's all that needs to be said, right? I think that I think that is. Do, it. do we have anything we normally add? I think we've actually gone through it remarkably quickly. I think so. I think you have it down to such a crazy ass science. Um, thank you. Look for us, uh, you know, on iTunes, Stitcher, and the website with a new podcast in two weeks. Graham, you want to sing us out? Uh... Yeah, I already started. Yeah, you just did. I know. I was like, ah, I talked over it. Ah. Oh, my timing is so bad. Okay. Okay. <laughs>